ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for the dawn of America No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And when we say no comparison, folks, we're talking about shows like tonight. Where else in the world, well, nowhere else in the world, can you hear a Thanksgiving holiday special featuring the mighty Bruce Rucks, but we do it here every year with Rucks Giving. So welcome, folks, to Rucks Giving 2015. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. You should be aware of Bruce Rucks by now. If you aren't, if somehow you're just tuning in for the first time ever, you're, you're some, some I don't even know, party crasher who's jumped into our Thanksgiving meal together, <laughs> together, all of us. But if you don't know who Bruce Rucks is, he's the author of Architects of the Underworld and Hollywood vs. the Aliens, and he is part of the fabric of BOA Audio for many, many years, so much so uh, that we've become so close with the guy that we, we've established Rucks Giving as our celebration of all things Bruce Rucks. So, as I said to him before we started the show, people are all fired up about uh, another uh, Rucks Giving, so welcome back to the show, Bruce. I'm glad to be here. Happy Thanksgiving, man. Thanks, you too. I'm starting I'm to feel early. it now. Starting to feel it. Have you have you got Thanksgiving fever yet? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm all ready to go. My housemates invited me. Their uh, folks invited me to Thanksgiving with them, which is very nice. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'm starting early. I don't know what everyone else is doing right now, but I've always wanted to do this. I'm just going ahead and I just popped a cold Guinness and I've started with that. And I uh, got a fresh pot of coffee and I would have some grog since we're talking about pirates, but I didn't have time to make any. Nice. All right. So Bruce, as he says, he's starting early, folks. I will. Uh, I will abstain right now. But I, I love it. I love it. Because <laughs> as I said to you before we started, uh, and I'm sure the listeners know, I'm, I'm kind of rusty. I haven't done a show in a while. It's been about a month, so I'm really excited to uh, be back at the helm. And I couldn't think of a better person to do it with here than Bruce, because uh, you know this is as loose and informal as it gets. It's Rucks giving, folks, and. Uh, as I said in the preview here, we're going to be digging into pirates because we've, we've sort of touched on pirates on the show here on Rucks Giving in, in the past, but only really uh, in the question and answer sort of portion. Someone would ask a pirate question. Uh, I think Red Sun Superman brought up pirates last year, and that set us off on this tangent, and I kind of had the idea then that we should do this centered around pirates. So at least we have something to talk about. I got hate mail, actually. I got one lady who hated the show last year, so... <laughs> that, that, I, I wish I could find it. Maybe I'll, I'll maybe I'll search it out later and <laughs> and read it. I'm just amazed anyone even tunes in. I mean, I, I, this is the only time I was mentioning to you earlier. This is the only time of year anyone even knows who I am. Well, 
it works perfectly with Ruck's giving, so <laughs> it's all like comes together. Uh but yeah, I should I should dig up this lady. Uh but she 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 sort of guilted me over it was like I need a theme here. I need I need something to tie all this together because uh you know, once I turn it over to the listeners, I love their questions, but some some people go a little overboard. They have these long, elaborate questions and it's like, Oh no. I'm I'm in over my head. So this year yeah, I'm used to it. What's that? I'm used to it. Of course. Absolutely, yeah. So, I don't even know where to begin. Tell me about your interest in pirates. Where did all this start? Is this something that predates the UFO, uh, you know, UFO phenomenon, ancient monuments, uh, you know, interest that you have? Well, probably roughly about the same time, I'd say. Uh, I had an interest in them when I was uh, in both subjects when I was a kid <clears throat> and just got to uh, a great deal of more research in later years. Hmm. Uh, pirates, I've always had a pretty good understanding of pirates. Uh, better than most people, I think. Uh, when I saw pirates in the movies, I always thought, you know, these aren't real pirates. I just, even as a kid, I thought these aren't real pirates. And practically every instinct I ever had about the pirates turned out to be true. Uh, the more research I did on them, they were. We need to differentiate here. There were different kinds of pirates. Yeah, that's the first thing that's very confusing about. As I said to you tonight uh, before we started, I, I, I because it's the loose, <laughs> fast and loose edition. Of uh, it's the Rucks giving. Uh, you know, I I don't know anything about pirates. That's why I'm interested in talking to you because I looked it up today and I was like, this this anywhere there's water, there's pirates, folks. It's almost like pirates as pirates is like it is terrorism in a way. It's it's also akin to terrorism where it's like it it happens pretty much anywhere. These these pirates throughout history, them. all the way from the ancients to the present day. Mm. Yep. Anyway, the the pirates I'm talking about specifically are the Golden Age pirates which would date roughly from about 1670 to 1720 or 1725. Hmm. And uh, the ones in particular that I'm talking about are the ones who styled themselves as the Brethren of the Coast. Uh, the Brethren of the Coast were kind of underground Masons before there were Masons. And uh, I'm pretty well convinced of that, uh, but for reasons I'll get into shortly. Hmm. Uh, there are all kinds of symbolic reasons, even archaeological reasons to believe that, uh, and uh, ritual reasons to believe that they were Masons before anyone knew what Masons were. They were right. kind of an underground movement. These guys, uh, the ones I'm talking about, pretty much started with a guy named Benjamin Hornigold. Benjamin Hornigold was one of the most successful of all pirates, and there were four other pirates that sailed with him when they were young who became, along with Hornigold, the primary movers in what we call the Brethren of the Coast. Uh, they started out calling themselves the Flying Gang. And when they got the term Brethren, I'm not... I don't remember exactly. Uh, all of this is off the top of my head. Don't take me as last word on anything. Right, exactly. Take me like, yeah. take, take me like the Wikipedia. I'm first word. I've done a lot of research. I do know a lot of stuff. Uh, and when I'm the gist of what I'm giving you will be correct. But when it comes to nailing down names, dates, and places, you'll want to look those up on your on your own. Exactly. Uh, that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, because we don't want people to be like, well, it was actually this town in Spain. It's like, all right, we thank and, you. Yeah. And they'll probably be right. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that they they will be right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's um, okay. So we let me just sort of catch you off here, so I can learn a little bit more about. Let me set you up in a sense. Well, what, what what? So this this golden age. When is this? Where is this? What coast is this? Where you know? Give me a little bit of uh, you know, the who. You started to tell us about the who. So tell me about you know the when and the where, so I can kind of at least picture uh, in my mind uh, where all this is going. This was all the seafaring nations of the Western world. Uh, like I said, between about 1670 and 1720 or 1725, that neck of the woods. And it didn't have an actual starting date or, or closing date. 
uh, it kind of ended with uh, Black Bart, Bartholomew Roberts. He was the last of the big-time pirates that was taken down. Mm. And that was uh, sometime after 1720, as I recall. Uh, by 1725, it had pretty well, the entire movement had pretty well died down and been brutally, really, by the British Navy, mostly. Mm. Um, but all of the Western nations just kind of clamped down on it as hard as they possibly could because it was a very, very successful movement, and it really brought standstill to a hell of a lot of their shipping. Mm. So up until that point, um, they were very, very successful and uh, were able to recruit members with extreme ease because they were the only real democracy on the planet. What was really taking place, it was mostly English, mostly uh, British Isles, I should say. Uh, but you found pirates from Spain, from France, uh, from the Norselands, uh, from America, uh, from really any seagoing nation, which was practically everybody back then. It was the start of the Industrial Age. Right, right. But these, dudes, these dudes, they were all, for these guys in the Brotherhood, they were, for the most part, I'm imagining, uh, like, European? Yeah. They were all Europeans. Yeah. I mean, obviously there were um, there would have been some Arabs among them too. Yeah, yeah. And there was probably a little bit of uh, interchange between the two, but for the most part, uh, any East shipping was a prime target. That was everybody's. All pirates really wanted to hit the Mughals' shipping, mm. any Ottoman stuff, any stuff from the East. The problem with that was it was incredibly, incredibly well protected and very heavily armed, and extremely difficult to take down. Uh, I believe it was Hornigold, as a matter of fact. I think it was, I don't think it was Avery. I think it was Hornigold, who uh, actually started off his career by taking down a ship from the Mogul in a very daring move where the ship that they were attacking was ten times better armed than they were, but they caught him with their pants down, and the ship that they hit just couldn't do anything right on that day. Yeah, <laughs> They yeah. completely bungled it, and they ended up taking a haul that, I mean, just would have made everybody rich for their entire lifetimes. But wow. they continued on. They continued on with piracy anyway. No, when they the let me let me. I'm going to keep interrupting you here just because I have questions. Because uh, I'm afraid. Because yeah. I know you'll just go, and then we'll go like ten minutes, and I'll be like, wait a minute, I, I'm confused. So, uh, or I'm like, I wish I had asked him this. I don't want to. I don't want to look back and be like, I wish I asked him. So, when they, for instance, in this battle with this ship, what happened here? They, they you saying they take it down? Do they they don't sink it though. Do they take it over? And, and how does how they took it over? Okay. Okay. They took it over. Nine times out of ten, or more than that, actually, the pirates were going to take the ship. Now, whether they kept it or not was another matter. Hmm. Still seaworthy after it had been battered, and that was when they had to actually fight. Right. Most of the time, pirates did not have to fight for their ships. If they flew the flag and said surrender, most ships just surrendered. <laughs> they didn't even put up a fight. Really? They just say, okay, because uh, the message was clear. Hmm. With the pirates, it was like, look, we're going to take your stuff. Period. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. You want to do it the hard way, bring it. But you won't be happy if you did. Mm. And so most people just pretty much surrendered. That was usually the case. If they couldn't run away. The first yeah. thing to do is try and run away from them. If that fails, surrender. Well, sail away uh, whatever, right? Yeah. That's right. Hard, sail away. Yeah. Get the hell out of there. Uh, pirates usually attacked when they had numerical superiority or a bigger ship. Mm. They were very shrewd. Uh, they used basic battle tactics, which is if you're bigger than your opponent, take them down. If you're not, run away. <laughs> very, very simple. And the British Navy or the other shipping countries did largely the same thing. Uh, so the pirates succeeded mostly on their reputation. If they had to fight, uh, there were a couple different modes they'd go in on that. If they were flying the Jolly Roger or the Black Flag, 
and there were a variety of black flags. But if they were flying that one, that meant there's going to be a fight, uh, but we'll treat you fairly. If they flew the red one, that meant you're fucked. You better fight to the death because we're taking you down, period. What's the red no one? Is the red version of the Jolly Roger? Nope, it's just a solid red flag. Oh, damn. The, the Jolly Rouge. The, the Jolly Happy Rouge. Red. I like that. Mm-hmm. Now, Hillbilly in the chat that might be. asks if the Jolly Roger was a Templar symbol. Yes. The skull and crossbones actually originated, uh, specifically a white skull and crossbones against a black backdrop, which is exactly what the Jolly Roger is, began as a Templar symbol, which dates all the way back to Egypt, actually. I don't remember all the particulars on that particular myth. Hmm. It had to do with um, someone who was in love with a woman who died and went to the graveyard and after he went to the graveyard, uh, a child was born, which is a skull between the crossed thigh bones. Uh, that's basically what that legend is, and I don't know all the particulars. It's been a very long time since I read it. Yeah, okay. But in, in theory, that's where that particular legend came from. Interesting. But yeah, it was a Templar symbol, definitely. All right. So then, okay. So they have these two styles of attack, and that, that's and what, they just pretty much. Would they kill people, just take them out, just kill them, or would they hold them captive or let them, like, push them off in a, a little boat? Who knows? All depended. Yeah. If it was a fair fight, uh, first they'd hail you. They were, they were going to do what was called bamboozling, usually. Hmm. Um, bamboozling is where you flew the flag of whatever country it was you were approaching. Ah. If you saw a Spanish ship, they had all kinds of flags. They just gathered them. So if they were approaching a Spanish ship, they would fly a Spanish flag, and they'd try and hail them and communicate and give them some kind of cover story so they could get close to them, and then just take them nice. as soon as the time was right. Yes, yeah, That's called bamboozling. Yeah. That's where that term comes from. If that failed, if the target recognized what was coming after them, they might open fire on them, they might initiate uh, combat, uh, they might run away from them, any number of different things. If they ran away, uh, once the pirates knew they'd been spotted, then they'd fly the black flag. And it's like, okay, game's up. You know who we are, and we're just letting you know we will fight for your stuff if you don't stop. Nice. And so then they'd just have a fight, uh, and they'd come with everything they had. They were very, very fierce fighters and extremely successful. It's like shooting at each other from the boats. Oh, dear God, yes. They did everything. They pioneered a lot of what we recognize as standard military procedure today, one of my favorite bits being suppressing fire. Uh, suppressing fire, uh, you know, you get up in the masts and from every cubbyhole that you've got, and you've just got every rifle you have trained on their gun modes so that when they open the gunwales to shoot, you fire at them first. So yeah. they're afraid to open up the cannons. And as soon as they open up the boards for the cannons, you just fire straight through there and kill whoever's shooting at you so they keep the things closed. Mm. <laughs> they won't shoot at you. That's suppressing fire. Nice, okay. They were really good at a lot of that stuff. They used grenades. Uh, numerous types of grenades, I might well, add. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I'm trying to just imagine how you would even fight from a boat to another boat. But yeah, that would be that would work up well. They came straight up alongside them and they grapple them. Uh, as soon as they could get their ship up alongside, they would throw grappling hooks over to the other ship and pull themselves right up next to it, and then just jump aboard. Uh, or if they couldn't get that close, they would throw nets over and climb the nets. They'd just jump onto the nets and climb those. Ah. And then it was just everything. It was straight commando fighting, fists in your face in the whole nine yards. Cutlasses, pistols, grenades, everything. They had a weapon called a blunderbuss, which was seriously vicious. That was a handheld shotgun. It was a pistol with a giant maw. It was just packed with whatever you happened to have. Nails, broken glass, 
ball bearings, Jesus. anything. Yeah. And you just fire that straight in the face of your opponent. Bam! Oh. Take him straight down. Damn. These guys were incredibly vicious. And you really didn't want to fight them. <laughs> did they just <laughs> live on these boats, or did they, like, because, I, I as I said, I did uh, really, really, like, third-grade book report-level research on this. So, um, but, but I noticed that in some instances, in some cases with these pirates, not necessarily what you're talking about, but I'm applying it now to yours to find out, um, is that they would sort of, like, have sort of hidden, well, not necessarily hidden, but they, they would have land. They would have, like, places they could land eventually. Oh, sure. Yeah. Did yeah. these dudes you're talking Republic. about, the, the, the brethren, did they have that? Yeah. That was the Pirate Republic, as they like to style themselves. Now, they had several places. They had uh, a substantial amount of the Bahamas for a long period of time. Uh, they made their home in Nassau for quite a while until a governor named Woods Rogers came along and sort of wiped them out very cleverly and without without much bloodshed. Uh, but that was way late in the game. Yeah. So N- Nassau was one of their hangouts. Uh, they hung out in Jamaica, in Tortuga, uh, Madagascar. They had several different landing places. They were kind of a loose nation. Mm, yeah. which is why they called themselves the Brethren of the Coast or the, the Pirate Republic. Uh, they all flew the same flag. They took oaths to each other, uh, which they were very serious about honoring and are extremely similar to Masonic oaths, if not identical. And uh, they had their various landing places. They were Each ship was kind of like a floating Masonic lodge. They all lived by basically the same tenets, and they all recognized each other. Uh, they had secret grips and handshakes and signs of recognition for any time that they were uh, in civilian territory, so to speak, where they might, you know, it was very dangerous for you to know you were a pirate. You could get hung so and would get hung if they knew. So they were very careful about how they communicated with each other. And they had their ways of recognizing each other at sea, too, ways of hailing each other. Yeah. So all of them were basically operating under the same principles, but they didn't have their own particular uh, kingdom, if you will. And they wouldn't have wanted one if they did, but they didn't have a nation. Right. It was like honor among thieves. That's right. And their nation was at sea. It was mobile. Right. Uh, But They just had little strongholds here and there. Like I said, Madagascar, Nassau, a few other places. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy stuff. So this is where all these – this is like where the pirate – these brethren guys you're talking about. This is like where the pirate – Stereotype, for lack of a better term, comes from the iconography of the hat and the uh, and sure. what, what about the leg? The 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 is that, how much of that is like it's probably based on one dude or something, right? Like the peg leg with the hook, the hook hand. Is that legitimate? Is that did that ever actually really happen, or is that just something that got added over time? I would say better than ninety percent of the stereotypes of pirates are accurate. Probably better than ninety percent. Uh, yeah, there were lots of hook hands, there were lots of eye patches, there were lots of peg legs. It was a very, very vicious and dangerous place to live on the sea. Uh, even if you weren't in combat, uh, and even if you weren't a pirate, and I should say especially if you weren't a pirate, if you were in the Merchant Marine or the Navy, uh, there's so much industrial stuff on a ship that you could become very badly maimed without even trying caught in the lines, uh, there's a lot of heavy shipping, stuff is falling on top of you. That's true, uh, dangerous, yeah. It's very, very dangerous. Uh, the pirates, actually, uh, one of the reasons that it was easy to get uh, recruits for them was because you were far better off with the pirates than you were with a merchant marine or with the Navy, especially in terms of getting maimed. If you got maimed in the merchant marine or the Navy, and the likelihood was not low for that, even if you were careful. I mean, it could just happen to you by accident. Right, right. Uh, there was no compensation. They'd just cut you loose. 
they'd set you on dry land and say, well, tough luck, and uh, here's a top road bag. Yeah, good luck you with know, your you're, stump. You're, that's right. You were on your own. Uh, the Pirates were not like that at all. They had set uh, reparations for any injuries that you accrued while you were with them. Uh, for instance, they'd have, I don't know, 100 pieces of gold if you lost a, a right arm and 50 pieces of gold if you lost a left, because uh, the right <laughs> was more important than the left. I mean, they had actual set denominations of, of monies that they would give you, and they were very generous. Like actuaries. You, yes. They had insurance, uh, and they honored it. They were very good with that. It was, they had unemployment insurance. You were always employed to the Pirates if you wanted to be. Uh, once you were a brother, uh, if you want to quit for a while, you want to leave the ship, unless it's in the ship's articles that you have to stay with them for a certain period of time, and that was the case on some ships. But if you wanted to set up shop somewhere, just become a merchant on land, uh, no problem. Yeah. Uh, we'll set you off. We'll give you your share. They had even shares. Uh, the captain and the quartermaster and sometimes a couple of the other officers got slightly more in the shares. But that was agreed upon by all the pirates because right. they faced a greater risk if they were caught. Uh, and those were done individually by ship's articles, but were generally the same from ship to ship. Um Anyway, they'd go ahead and set you off and look to do what you wanted to do, give you your share so you could get all set up. Uh, and if you ever wanted to come back to piracy, no problem. Uh, if any ship of one of the brethren happens to be sailing by and you want on board, you just say, hey, man, I'm a brother and I'd like to go uh, sailing again. I'd like to go back on the account, as they called it. And they'd say, sure, sign, come on up. They'd take them on board and they'd go right back to it. And you know the secret handshakes and shit so you can get in, right? You know whatever the, That's right. the code, the vernacular and all that. So, yeah, yeah. That's right. They sound almost so, like a motorcycle gang, too, in a way. There's a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of, like, I also kind of am scared, though, because I'm seeing a lot of, like, <laughs> they sound like terrorists, and that's kind of scary. But, but uh, of the sea, in a way. I don't know. It's very weird. Well, they were and they weren't. There are two basic extremes in looking at pirates. One is to look at them as just terrorists of the sea or seagoing biker gangs. Hmm. And the other is to look at them as Robin Hoods of the Oceans. They were a little bit of both. I tend to lean more toward the Robin Hood side. They didn't exactly rob from the rich to give to the poor, but they were extremely generous with everything that they took. Pirates found a lot of safe havens, even among towns that were not pirate towns. Yeah. And the reason they did was because they had a shit ton of money, and they spent it like crazy. <laughs> they were very, very generous with their money. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. they, they really didn't know how to save. They spent most of it on drinking hookers and just buying whatever stuff they could in town. So the townspeople usually loved them because mm. they'd just come and drop money every which way. Wow. Now, speaking of which, that's a good segue here because uh, Hillbilly wants to know about female pirates. Were there female pirates? Yes, there were, probably more than we are aware of. Uh, there were a lot of women who actually went to sea, not only as pirates, but actually on board naval vessels. Uh, they'd just cut their hair short and bind their breasts if they had them. And uh, no one was really looking, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could pass, uh, there were several times that uh, women would join uh, male crews on any particular ship, and the, the men just never knew. Oh, so and they have to. Then, so so they couldn't just be they couldn't just be lady pirates then. It would be. The, the, oh no, there were actual there were lady pirates. There were two in particular. Okay. Um, the two in particular were Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. They were both doxies of uh, guy named Calico Jack Rackham. Calico Jack Rackham is probably the pirate that uh, Jack Sparrow was based on in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He was kind of inept most of the time. He was sort of a small-time pirate, but he had a good reputation. Yeah. Uh, he was a gentleman pirate. 
uh, and not bad at what he did, but he was kind of small time. Okay. Uh, he usually used smaller ships and went after smaller ships and usually went for more confidence games. Uh, he was smart. He just wasn't a big pirate. Uh, the most famous pirate flag anymore is probably the one that they showed in Pirates of the Caribbean, which is not the Skull and Crossbones, but the Skull and Cross Sabres. Uh, Calico Jack Rackham, that was his particular flag. He was the one ah. that flew that. But anyway, uh, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed were his, uh, what's the right word? They were his call girls and uh, spent all their time with him. They both kind of sold him out at the end. Uh, he finally got captured and hung, and they got off by pleading pregnancy. Ah. Wow. Because <laughs> so, you, you couldn't hang a pregnant woman or a woman that was going to be a mother. Yeah. So was, they, they were acknowledged as guilty of piracy, but they were kind of forced to say, well, you have to turn over a new leaf now and we'll let you go. And when Anne Bonnie went to visit Jack Rackham in jail before he was hung, uh, he lamented having come to that pass, and she looked at him and said, if he'd been more of a man, Jack, he wouldn't have come to this pass. And she left him there, which was really cold. Wow, damn. Wow. Okay. But yeah, there were there were female pirates, and those were the two most famous ones. All right, so it makes sense, yeah. Interesting. All right, lady pirates for Ruck's Givings, folks. So Hillbilly gets his wish. Um Interesting, interesting. All right. So these, so you say this dude gets – that guy got captured. So like – and then you kind of mentioned that it got stamped out. So we, we don't want to necessarily jump to the end here of this pirate story. But, you know, what? I guess that was did, – did they get worse and worse to the point that they had to step in and be like, all right, we can't – you can't be pirates out there, guys. We need, we need like, clean uh, shipping lanes and shit. They became so successful that they had to stamp them out. Now, they were always fighting piracy, obviously, because it was cutting into their profits. But when the pirates became inordinately successful, like I said, they, it, it was very easy for them to recruit because they offered everything. Right. And the Navy and the Merchant Marine offered nothing. And the major difference there also was that you didn't have much choice as to whether or not you were going to live a sailing life. You just didn't. In that world, everyone was really poor. And the only way you were going to make any money at all was to either sign up with the Merchant Marine or the Navy, or you would find yourself impressed into them whether you wanted to be or not. There were press gangs that would go around and just throw hoods over people, hit them over the head with something, put them on board ship, and say, congratulations, you're one of us now. Yeah. And they were, yeah. The pirates didn't do that. <laughs> but the Navy did. And that was the Navy of all countries. They all did that. They were called press gangs. Yeah, yeah, I've and heard about this, yeah. So, especially okay. when there was a war. Crazy. If there was a war going on, the Navy would just kidnap people, or they'd sail up to merchant marine ships or other ships and say, well, we want all your able-bodied guys. They're going to serve us now, period. And, you know, those put guns in your face, so you're coming with us. Oh, so they're just as bad as the pirates, if not worse. worse than the pirates. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't offer anything in return, and their pay was terrible, and that's when you got it, if you got it. Plus, every ship was just a straight tyranny. You were under your captain, period. The captain's word was law, and if you had a shitty captain, you were screwed. Yeah. They could do all kinds of really horrible things to you and did. The pirates would only do really horrible things to you if you were a really horrible person or if you were fighting them. Hmm. And then they weren't going to be nasty to you except into the degree they had to be. Right, right, right. Oh, these pirates. I'm loving this, man. This is crazy stuff. Oh my goodness! Well, you mentioned you now. You sent me a massive email when I first even mentioned pirates. So let me hit some of these things that might, uh, you know, that might ring a bell for you that you might want to talk about. Because you say that Black Blackbeard was an acutely political pirate. Yes, uh, he was. 
So tell me about his. Uh, tell me about this. This is the, he's part of this brotherhood or brethren uh, or you know era, right? Yep. Blackbeard was one of the mainstays. He was one of the original members of the Flying Gang, and as a matter of fact, was the second to Benjamin Hornigold, who basically created it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember when he got his first ship. It was relatively late in the game, but he made up for lost time really fast. Uh, he named his flagship the Queen Anne's Revenge. It was one of the most feared ships on the ocean. And the Queen Anne's Revenge, for anyone who's really paying attention and knows politics of the era, will be recognized as a Jacobite uh, saying. That's for Queen Anne of Scotland. And that's why he named his ship that. Blackbeard actually wanted to offer his services, his fleet, to uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie, who at that time was uh, had fled Scotland and was living in France. And he was arranging with the governor of, I believe it was Nassau, it was Nassau, Bermuda, somewhere in there. There was a Jacobite governor who was in league with Blackbeard who was trying to arrange a meeting between Blackbeard and Bonnie Prince Charlie. That never came off because the governor was arrested for treason and uh, Blackbeard got killed. Mm. Uh, I think it was Ocracoke Island between Virginia and the Carolinas. Yeah, yeah. So who was this prince, dude? He was like exiled or something, and he was going to try and bring him back to... Because I don't have never yeah, heard of Brawny Prince. He was the prince of Scotland. Mm. <laughs> he was the prince of Scotland. He was Queen Anne's line. That's the whole point. Ah, interesting. Okay, so they... This, they, is, this is going back to the Elizabethans and uh, Elizabeth and, and Bloody Mary and all that. Mm. Well, there's an interesting, I don't know, there's sort of this thing that's like, like I said, when I first looked this up, it was like, uh, as long as people have been sailing, there have been pirates. So you wonder, just, that connects you to sort of just like the seafaring sea peoples, you know, the people that were that were sailing, you know, the Vikings, they seem to be like original, you know, not the original sea peoples, but they get the most credit nowadays, but it's like people who mastered sailing, uh, lost culture. I have always... I'm glad you brought them up. I've always wondered if the if there weren't Vikings among the Sea Peoples. Uh, the audience won't know what I mean by the Sea Peoples unless they're real history nuts like I am. Well, let's clue them uh, in on the Sea Peoples. Okay, the Sea Peoples. This was uh, I'm pretty sure I got this right. It was about the 14th century BC. Mm-hmm. Out of the sea came a number of peoples, seafaring peoples. No one knows who they are. We actually have a list of their names, which was left to us by Ramesses III, who stopped them. He was the only one that was able to stop them, and that was a great cost. But we don't know who he's referring to. The Egyptians obviously knew what these names meant, but we don't. So we don't know who he's talking about. Not Phoenicians, someone's asking? Well, they could have been Phoenicians, as a matter of fact. The Phoenicians were one of the civilizations that were wiped out by them. Hmm. But that doesn't mean that there weren't Phoenicians among them. There could have been Greeks among them. There could have been Phoenicians. Uh, I am pretty certain there were Celts among them, for a reason I'll get into in a minute. Um, but I've always wondered if there weren't Norsemen among them or if the, if Norsemen were actually trading in the ancient world under names that we simply don't recognize. Uh, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't be. There are certain connections between Egyptian symbolism and stuff you'll find in Norse lands um, and among the Celts. So my guess is that they probably actually did some trading with each other and knew each other's languages and such. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So one of the races... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, one of the races of the Sea People, like I said, Ramesses III, I think it was Ramesses III, left us uh, a list of the various Sea Peoples. Hmm. They wiped out every civilization in the ancient world except Egypt, and they came pretty damn close to getting Egypt. The Sea People were wiped held out off. all these. 
all these. Yep. Weird. They just came out of nowhere. They burned every city to the ground that they came across. They wiped out the Hittites. They wiped out the Minoans. They wiped out the Phoenicians. Uh, they pretty much hit everybody. Weird. And, and no one knows where they. Okay. But no. No one knows we who they were, they where they came from. Did they know back then where they came from, or 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 they like, or were even they were like, where these people come from? Ramesses obviously knew who they were and where they came from. Okay. But like I said, we don't know who he's talking about. Right, he's talking right, names right. that we haven't heard. So we don't know who he means. Uh, but as far as history knows, they just came out of nowhere from the seas, and they went back to the seas. Some of them got captured by the Egyptians, and we have some hieroglyphs of them, and they look like big bearded white guys. And they're dressed in what uh, most of them, I should say, are dressed in what we would recognize as Philistine garb or something very close to Phoenician Canaanite. Hmm. Uh, some of them look they look pretty damn European, is the whole point. Big bearded white guys. Yeah, yeah. Big muscular guys. Nordics. Yeah. They could be Nordics, they could be Celts, uh, they could be a combination of them. They could be a, any number of different races at the whole point. And we know that they were a number of different races, we just don't know which ones they were. One of the names that was left by Ramesses was Tekeli or Tekari or something like that, the variation of that. The Egyptians, like most of the ancients, didn't write with vowels, so we have to kind of interpose. Hmm. Uh, we're just making best guess. But Tekeli or Tekari sounds very much like Tokari, and the Tokarians were a Celtic race. The Tukarians, from exactly that time period, I might add, uh, the Tukarians were uh, Celts in central China. We know them today as the Taklamakan mummies from the Taklamakan desert. Mm. You guys can look these up if you just want to go on the net and type in Taklamakan mummies, T-A-K-L-A-M-A-K-A-N. Uh, you'll find some very interesting pictures because they're very, very well preserved by the climate. Uh, these guys were essentially, they were very tall. They were white guys. They had round eyes. They had red and blonde hair. And they settled in uh, central China? They were in central China, correct. Weird. Uh, they were called the Takari or Takarians, which again sounds very much like Takari that's listed in among the sea peoples. Hmm. Uh, the Celts were a seafaring race and a very advanced one, so I see no reason not to believe that they were one of the sea peoples that created all the havoc back in the 14th century B.C. Um as to what their interplay might have been with other civilizations, not exactly sure. But I'm I'm virtually positive that they were among the sea peoples that created all the havoc. Mm. The Celts were very commonly, they behaved exactly the same way that the sea peoples did. Uh, the Celts just attacked. They, they didn't necessarily conquer. They didn't want your territory. They just grabbed everything that they could, burned your cities to the ground, and went back home. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what the sea people did. So I, I see a connection there. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's weird. See, I never really knew about this sea people thing until I talked to you about it uh, in the email. So it's very, uh, it's very strange. Like, uh, like I was saying before, it's like there's always been sort of, I don't know if we talked about it before or not, but has, what are your thoughts on the whole idea? Cause you know, everyone says the Vikings got to America first. Now they say that, um, but I've 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 done a handful of research on it, and it seems like there was quite a bit more uh, interplay between the quote unquote New World, North America, you know, and, and these various seafaring cultures and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, the Norse made it to America before everyone else did, at least as far as we know, unless the Celts did. My guess is that the Celts probably did way back in antiquity, and the reason I think that is because there's Ogham writing all over the United States and in some parts of uh, Mexico or South America. Uh, there are there was a guy named Barry Fell who was a Harvard ethnologist. He published several books, and they're all very good. 
Um, he documented a lot of Ogham writing throughout the Americas. Ogham writing is Celtic writing. It's old Celtic writing. It's similar to runic, but not quite the same. It's a bunch of uh, hash marks, basically. It's kind of what it looks like. And um, it is a specific alphabet with specific letters. So if you go to some of these Ogham marks that you find throughout the Americas and translate them as Ogham, then you can actually find two or three different ancient languages that are using the Ogham alphabet. Now, for instance, he found a Libyan transcription. He figured it had to be Libyan because it was in the Libyan language. When it translated, it translated in Libyan to we were here at X time, X place. Uh, we're presently fleeing uh, X number of people, and this is where we're going to go if you want to come find us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the point is it was a very elaborate and, and comprehensible message when translated using the Ogham alphabet and using the Libyan language. Yeah. To me, that proves it. It's a self-proving thing. Right. Like, look, either Libyans were using the Ogham alphabet or there were Celts who were speaking Libyan. But either way, someone was writing this in the Ogham alphabet in the Americas and they got here in antiquity. So I, I don't find it difficult to believe that the Celts got here in antiquity at all. And it's just hard to stay, I guess, unless you have sort of that supplies from the others, you know, unless you have a, an ongoing, you know, supply. It would be like if it would be like if I if I had like a rocket ship and I flew to Mars by myself. It's like I couldn't start a Mars call. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like right. I could leave a little note that said I was there, but I can't I can't start building a house and shit. Well, exactly. Uh, we know that the Egyptians could have made it over very easily too. There were several advanced seafaring nations, and their ships were damn near identical in a lot of cases. Phoenician ships and Norse ships are practically identical, and they're the same design as the Egyptian ships. The Egyptians got it from the Phoenicians, I think. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not sure if anyone knows if the Egyptians got it from the Phoenicians or the other way around, mm. but there was definitely a lot of interplay taking place, and they had the same style ships. And those long ships, just like the Vikings had, and they're very, very seaworthy, and they could certainly cross the Atlantic with no problem. Now, the Vikings were certainly able to do it. They just kind of island-hopped their way uh, north. Yeah. Now, they were very good navigators. They had excellent ships, and certainly they made it to the Americas. We know that. Pretty crazy stuff. I don't know why they don't, uh, Hillbilly wants Hillbilly's like co-host in this show tonight. He wants to know how far back does trade or travel between the Americas and the Old World take place? I guess it. I guess kind of what we're we're speculating on here is that uh, you know maybe the Vikings tried to sort of like plant roots, but that didn't even work either until you know until eventually the Europeans uh, finally made the commitment. Right. That's kind of how that went. Yeah. Uh, the Vikings actually made it to Canada and North America. Uh, when they first landed, as a matter of fact, they were terrified by the Indians. <laughs> <laughs> they ran away from the Indians. It was their women that chased the Indians off. Uh, <laughs> the, men, the men saw a bunch of you know naked madmen coming at them with paint all over them, just ran back to their ships, and the women picked up their weapons and went, Wah! and scared them all off. That's great. Thing encounter. What, what happened after that is kind of anybody's guess, but that was the first encounter. Weird. Uh, as to... When trade actually took place between the old and new worlds, man, is that a can of worms. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Officially, it didn't begin until we discovered the new world with, you know, Amerigo Vespucci and uh, Columbus and all that. Yeah. Unofficially, there was tobacco in ancient Egypt. It wasn't Turkish tobacco. It was American tobacco. We know because we can test it. It was not only in their mummies, but it's in the tissues of the mummies. Now, they're called the cocaine money. This is something else that you guys can look up when you get bored or if you happen to be sitting in front of your computer, you can do it now. Look up cocaine mummies. They've got quite a history. Interesting. 
when they were first discovered, everyone said, well, this is just not possible because there's no tobacco. It, that's entirely an American product. There's no way that the Egyptians were in America. Yeah. Uh, they said, this was contamination. Somehow you guys spilled it into... Uh, when you were examining it, you spilled tobacco in here. Yeah, it's like, who is the dude? Who is who is smoking at the site, man? Jimmy? Exactly. Fess up. Yeah. Right. Well, there was too much tobacco for that, but that was the explanation everyone just accepted because they couldn't believe that there was American tobacco in Egypt. Right. Then they did some tests on the mummies. The tobacco is actually in the tissue of the mummies. It's not just in some of the stuffing of the mummies. It's in the tissues. It's in the hair follicles. If it's in the hair follicles, that means they were using tobacco. Right. You can't fake that. We use that kind of test in courtrooms every day. Mm. Uh, and when they did the test, it was, there was more tobacco use in ancient Egypt than there is in modern Europe today. Really? At least by all the samples that have been done. That's crazy. Now they, I don't remember what the actual number of samples was. Again, you guys could look this up. But they did an, enough random sampling that that was their estimate. All right. So you're saying... Clearly that uh, there was some kind of, maybe not necessarily like an organized trade, but certainly, uh, well, maybe it would have to be if it was that extensive, so who knows. There might even have been organized trade. Uh, I don't Couldn't they just brought the crop back, work? though, too, also? Isn't that like the whole thing with the Indians uh, with corn or something like that? Where it's like, sure. Uh, well, and there's another joke, too. If you go to the Cairo Museum, you will find actual... American corn, I mean maize, and it is leveled, it's labeled as such. It's on the first floor of the Cairo Museum. It's in one of the kind of side areas. Uh, they found it in some of the Egyptian tombs. What the hell is that doing there? They weren't supposed to have that. Yeah. But it's plainly labeled in the Cairo Museum, or at least it was when I went there in 1994. Do you know about this Go, Go, Gobekli Tepe? Yes. Did, Gobekli did, Tepe is an amazing site. Yeah, uh, Hillbilly wants. I, I'm dubbing Hillbilly now official co-host because he's he's just firing questions away and they're good. He uh, he wants to know if if the Gobelli Tepe, if the people that had that created it, if they possess the capability of seafaring. In your opinion, he wants to know if you think that's possible. I, I I'm going to go would, ahead and I'd say yes in my opinion, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would be amazed if they did not. Right. Uh, the, and the primary reason I'm going to say that straight off the bat. Uh, although, really, it's just, uh, you know, a ways down the Mediterranean. That's in the Levant. It's in Turkey. It's in uh, southern Turkey, Gobekli Tepe. Mm. Uh, Gobekli Tepe is contemporaneous with the redating of the Giza complex in Egypt about 12,500 years ago. They come to write the same date, I mean, within 500 years of each other. That's if you accept that the Giza complex was built far in advance of what the Egyptologists say. But those of us that do believe it was built far in advance believe specifically that it was built around 12,500 years ago. That's exactly what the date for the Beckley Tepe is, and they're sure of that. Yeah. Uh, so my guess is that there had to have been a connection between the Beckley Tepe people and the Egyptians if they weren't the same people. Interesting, interesting. Well, I was thinking as uh, you were talking earlier that it's almost – because, uh, you know, talking about this Beckley Tepe thing too uh, – I'm sure I just mispronounced that, but we'll move on. Gobekli uh, <laughs> Tepe, I think it's correct. All right, good. Um, I think it's I think it's not to get too sort of like psychological or or whatever here or anthropological or or, or whatever again, um, but maybe it's like almost human nature to to sail or to get out onto the water because if you were 
if you were even like maybe it goes further back than we can even imagine, you know, because if you were like a caveman, it's like the best place to be would be out on the water because uh, you wouldn't really have any, you, you wouldn't have to get away from predators and you could probably get food somehow. So I water mean, is really life. a natural thing. Water is life. One of the theories for the biblical flood, since we have flood myths from all civilizations, and those flood myths are all pretty much the same. All the ancient civilizations built along the coasts and along the rivers because water is life. That's where you get the water to take care of your crops. Uh, it's what, what you drink from. <laughs> it's what takes care of you. So they built all their civilizations along the water. If there was a massive rise in water uh, around the world, it would have affected all of those coasts at pretty much the same time, which might explain why there's a universal flood myth. Because they were all built by the water. Yeah. Plus, there's trade. Uh, that The biggest thing is just trade. Everything is economy. And trade was always a major issue. It's, it's always been a major issue. It still is today. Wars are fought for it. Now, it's all about economy and about trade. You want resources, and you want to get money for those resources. You do that by trading with other people with other resources. Yeah. Uh, you do that on the waterways, and that means ships. So, hell yeah. All right. Let me get to uh, so I don't forget because that feels like a good natural break. Let me uh, let me get to Kevin's question here. Kevin in San Diego, as I said, somebody wrote in with a Rucks giving question. Uh, I didn't even solicit them this year, but that's how excited they are about this stuff. Um, he says uh, a while ago I saw a YouTube video which has since been taken down that claimed that man of the American oligarchs can trace their family fortunes directly to lands granted after the Normans conquered England in 1066. Does that ring a bell at all for you? Yes and no. The answer well, hold is on now. There's just no. questions, though. I mean, I just, didn't yeah, want okay. you, I just didn't want to throw some question where it was like, you know, the moon Phobos no, I, I know what is, you know, and it's like, I don't know anything about Phobos, so let's just, you know. I know what he's talking about. Okay, good. All right, now here come the questions. My question has two parts. This is what I love about them. When they, people love the rocks giving, they just the questions are so elaborate that scares me. If this is true, does this represent evidence that these elite do have some sort of strange bloodline? Because Rollo the Walker, the Viking leader who established the Normans, was said yep. by mainstream history to have been so large that no horse could carry him. That could just be myth to expand on uh, Rollo's prominence. I don't know. We don't know that much about Rollo, really. We don't even know what kind of Viking he was. We don't know if he was Norwegian or Swedish or Danish or what. Um, I think he would. the prevailing thought is that he was Danish or Norwegian, I believe. But no one really knows for sure. Um, he was uh, – Rollo was a guy who – I don't know how much to get into here. Yeah, I was just going to say, I until this dude emailed me, until Kevin emailed me, I've never even heard of Rollo the Walker. And I, I'm already, I'm already. He's the father of the Normans. I'm already infatuated with with anyone. Anyone named Rollo the Walker sounds like someone who has quite the the life story. Yep, he's he's the originator of the Normans. He's sort of the uber father of the Normans. That's 1066 and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was the one that came from Normandy and took over England. So you think it's, it's so, English history? Yeah, we're getting right into English history here. Right. That's hey. This is this is uh this is Rock's giving for you folks. Yeah. Okay. So so you think maybe I guess you know the question if I could dumb it down uh in my own special way. He's sort of saying, you know, do you think that um he seems to think he's sort of suggesting that 
he's looking at a bloodline thing here. He's looking at a bloodline uh, sure. possibility. Uh, and we can sort of superimpose that onto a lot of this stuff anyway. You know, it's like secret societies and that sort of thing. Is, a, is it, it seems like certainly there's sort of, sort of uh, as we say with uh, Rich Dolan, like a breakaway civilization. Maybe that's what this was, and it stretches down through time. Well, sort of. What happened with Rollo, the Vikings, if you've seen the TV show at all, uh, in the TV show in the last season, they ended it with the, the Vikings taking Paris. Mm-hmm. They show it happening in two different attacks, the first attack failing. What actually happened was the Vikings took, it was the Danes, the Danes, mostly Danes. It was the Danes who took Paris, and they took Paris in all of two days. They just hit Paris, and bam, they took it. Which, again, is very much like the Celts. It's exactly what the Celts did with Rome and with other cities that they attacked. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they ransomed it back. <laughs> that nice city. Want it back? Yeah, this is how much we'll charge you for it. And, of course, we'll plunder everything that's in it. Because that's uh, what Vikings did. Yeah. That's what Vikings and Celts did. And um, they did. They just ransomed it back. Well, Rollo stayed on the Norman coast. And I believe it was actually the king of Spain who wanted him to stay. I'd have to go back and check on this. Uh, he was hired as a mercenary now, when the Vikings left. Uh, he just he liked the land there, and he said, you know what, I think I'll settle here. And they made it nice for him by saying, look, dude, those guys that just came and ass-raped us, we would like you to keep them from coming back and doing that to us again. Will you do that? We will give you money and land and call you lots of nice names. And he said, sure, what the hell? And that's how we got Rollo. Uh, he was the father of all that shit. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. He has a second question here. He says, does this present a pirate connection since it was the Normans who went on to be the Knights Templar because they had to flee to Scotland when the church turned on them, taking their seafaring knowledge with them? That's a really good question. And I'll have to answer it in parts. Okay. Well done, Kevin. Yeah. We don't exactly know. Let me rephrase that. I don't exactly know. I can only theorize. What I do think happened is this. When the Templars uh, had the coup performed against them by Philip the Fair, Philip IV, they knew the coup was coming. They knew in advance. And they made it very obvious that they knew in advance. The night before they were hit, their entire fleet of 17 ships just disappeared with most of their treasure. So plainly they knew it was coming. And as a matter of fact, Jacques de Molay, when the troops arrived, just looked at him and said, we knew you were coming. <laughs> we were ready for you. Those guys stayed behind to buy everyone else time to get away. So where did the Templars go with that treasure? Where did that fleet go? There were these 17 ships. Where did they go? We know where some of them went. Some of them went to Portugal, and some of the fugitive Templars became the Knights of Christ. And so that's one place that we know they went. Another place we know they went was Scotland. Uh, they fought alongside Robert the Bruce against the English and helped establish uh, Scottish independence. Some people will tell you that's a myth, but I find it very difficult to believe that that's a myth considering that there are definite Templar graves in Scotland and on an island right off the uh, coast of Scotland. Uh, they're, they're unmistakably Templar graves. No one denies that. Well, yeah. if they're Templar graves, and they happen to date right to the time of Robert the Bruce, I have to believe that they sailed straight over from France to Scotland, and they probably had communication with him well before that. Hmm. Uh, he was very much their kind of guy. And I find no difficulty at all in believing that they assisted him against the English. Uh, that would also explain why they had such an easy victory, really, all things considered. 
Uh, if the English saw Templar liveries, I would be surprised if the battle was even fought if they saw Templar liveries. If the Templars had come out beforehand, and for all I know, this might have happened, I'd get all kinds of hate mail if I said it did because I really don't know. Okay. But in in all actuality, before the battle was fought, if there was a parley, and there was frequently a parley before a battle. What's a parley? A parley? Like a meeting a, before two parties yeah. go to war so they can be like, all right, is there any way we can avoid this? Yep. Uh, they send people out under uh, a truce. They're all facing each other, and they kind of fly a flag and say, hey, look, let's talk. And they send their representatives, and they meet in neutral ground in the middle, and they have a chat. Okay. And they say, okay, look, you really want to do this. Uh, and if you really want to do this, uh, are we going to have certain rules? You know? So they, they'd make agreements. They'd make gentlemen's agreements. Huh. Uh, and if they couldn't come to an agreement, then they'd go ahead and fight. That's just how it went. Yeah. So if the Templars had come out, not at the end of the battle, which is how the story usually goes for those who even believe the Templars were there, uh, if they had not come out as a cavalry charge at the end, but at the very beginning, on horseback and in, in Templar livery, if I were the English king, <laughs> and the Templars came riding up to me and said, dude, you really want to do this? And if you do, bring it. We'd advise against it, but it's up to you, your call. I'd, I'd say just go home. Yeah. He probably would have just gone home. Because he was going after the Scots because the Scots did not have knights on horseback, and he did. If, they, if the Scots had knights on horseback and they were Templars, the Templars had a very fearsome reputation. And it's like going against pirates. You just don't want to do this. Right. So probably if they'd come out at the beginning, there would have been no battle. The English would have gone home and kind of flipped the finger and grumbled a lot. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So like, to, to, to sort of connect this timeline then, because uh, I'm terrible at history and everything. 13, 13, 13, 14, right in there. Okay, now I'm trying to trace just sort of like, so I guess in a way the later part, I'm trying to sort of trace like if there's just sort of this lineage of sort of seafaring, skilled seafarers that sort of like are uh, like, a, like a world unto their own. You know what I'm saying? It's like the Templars uh, lead to the pirates in a way, do they? Yeah. I don't know. That's how I think they do. Okay. I think there was an underground movement by the Templars. They basically established what we call masonry today. And they did so with other nations that they traded with. They just decided to take their basic precepts and make them mobile. They no longer had a specific home. They didn't have a, a safe haven anymore. They didn't have a castle. They didn't have a nation. Sure. So they became a bunch of nationless wanderers who lived by a particular code. I believe they taught that code to other people like themselves, and that we recognize those people as the Golden Age pirates. Hmm. Those were the people that carried on the tradition underground. Yeah, interesting. So it all connects in a lot of ways, folks. Well, when this whole when these dudes got stamped out, was that still uh, did that sort of cease in a way? Like, because you don't really. That's the funny part, you know. You hear obviously there's these like so Somalian pirates, you know, like that Tom yep. Hanks movie. But yep. you don't really entirely hear... different bunch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You don't really hear much of a connection between. I guess I'm interested in sort of what happened after these after these sort of uh, European, you know, famous iconic pirate pirates uh, were stamped out, and and what, what what became sort of a pirating? Did it sort of fall into a into an even more underground thing? Well, let me start it this way by giving you the archaeological evidence between Templars and Masons 
or at least between masons and pirates, golden sure. age pirates. Yep. There is archaeological evidence to support this, and this is it. One of the pirates who sailed with Horn of Gold was a guy named Black Sam Bellamy. Black Sam got his own ship and left Bellamy, or excuse me, left Horn of Gold, and the ship that he picked up was called the Witta. That's W-H-Y-D-A-H. Yeah, For any masons out there that are, that are about to say, oh, widow, like widow's son. See, there's proof. No, actually, that's just a coincidence. Yeah. It was pronounced Witta. It was named after the province in uh, central western Africa where it, it was in Dalme, where the ship was built. It was a slaver ship. And on its maiden voyage, it got captured by pirates, and Sam Bellamy took it over. It sailed for a short time after that, and then it got caught in the worst storm in East Coast history up to that time, and probably for a good many years since. It was just a terrible, terrible storm. Yeah. It went down with all but, I think, four hands. Mm. Of those four hands, I believe three of them were, uh, all of them were tried as pirates. I believe two of them were let go and two of them were hung. But all the rest of them went down with the ship. The ship went down intact. It was discovered right around 1980, it was late 70s or early 80s. Um, the ship was actually found. They were right. able to locate it because... It's like near me, right? The ship. It's like in... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think it was, uh, was it around Cape Cod? I'm trying to remember now exactly where it was it went Yeah, down. I remember you told the story last year, but it's always good to have a refresher, yeah. So they found it in the 1980s? I believe so, Jesus. yeah. That's pretty late. Uh, they were studying the thing. They're still studying the thing. But the real point is they were able to triangulate the ship's position by the records, and they knew where the storm had hit and all of that, but sure enough, they found the ship. Yeah. There's no question it's the Witta. There's no question it's a pirate ship. It is the only intact pirate ship that we have ever discovered. Really? We've discovered pieces of what we think are pirate ships other places, but we're not sure. The widow we know was a pirate ship. There's just no question about it. And we know that the ship that was found was the widow. There's been a long archaeological excavation pulling stuff up from the widow. There's a whole museum that's dedicated to it, which I'd love to visit one of these days. I know. I've been meaning to check it out myself. You should take take a vacation. Come out and see me, and we'll we'll go to the museum. Not a bad idea. I'd love to do that, actually. Yeah, we should talk about that, yeah. Anyway... Uh, among the items that were found on board the ship were all of its silverware. The vast majority of that silverware, not all of it, but uh, I'm not sure what percentage to give. I'm going to say it's well over 80%. The vast majority of the silverware on that ship has a distinct symbol carved into it. And that distinct symbol is the square and compasses. The square and, and no one defines the symbol as anything but that. It's right. not something that looks like square and compasses. It is the yeah. square encompasses. Just like one of those iconic symbols that you, yeah. Exactly like you would find on a Masonic Lodge today. Now, the point is this. That ship went down in, uh, well, I'm trying to think if it was April. It was April or May of 1717 that that ship went down. Mm -hmm. Masonry, as an institution, did not announce itself to the world until about two months after that, in July of 1717, or June of 1717, excuse me. Yeah. But it was after that ship went down. It's like a couple of months after the ship went down. Right, right. No one knew those symbols except the Masons. And right. The Masons yeah, were a secret organization who made themselves public a couple of months after that ship went down. So where did the pirates come up with that symbol? Why was it on their silverware? They were Masons. They were Masons. 
Yeah. The only other explanation that someone could possibly throw out for that, that they stole it from Masons somehow is that they stole it from some Masons, but then you have to say, well, who were those Masons and who did they get it from? My guess would be if they did, they got it from British Admiralty, but I don't think that the British Admiralty was advertising that symbol at the time. Yeah. Was it a lot of... Because I'm trying to think of how it might... Yeah. Couldn't it just belong to the people they had, they took the ship over from originally? Like you said, it got taken over in its maiden voyage, so... Uh, could, right. And, was it, and who would these people be if they were Masons? The point is it's a symbol only known to the Masons. Yeah. Why were the Masons using it, and who were the Masons that were? The likeliest explanation is simply the easiest one, which is that the pirates were, uh, were Masons themselves and using the symbol. Right, right. Especially given that they had the same kind of moral code that we recognize as Masonic code today. Same moral code. Yes. They were extremely moral, believe it or not. Uh, they had their own rules and regulations, and you had to follow them, exactly like Masonic rules and regulations. Uh, you don't, uh, you, it's a, first and foremost of those, you don't steal from each other. Pirates do not steal from each other. They'd kill you for that. Hmm. They'd maroon you someplace if you did that shit. Uh, they had bookkeepers, and they were very, very straight about it. Hmm. The Masons are the same way. They're not going to kill you if you steal from them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the rules are the same. Yeah. You never strike a fellow pirate in anger. Uh, you would only kill another pirate in self-defense if he was attacking you. But, yeah, they, they had this moral code between each other. It's exactly like the code that Masons have with each other. Interesting. Pirates. They get a bad rap, kind of, in a way. It's, you know, they've oh, been yeah, really, course. yeah, they've been really, I guess, how about this? Here's an interesting question. How did we, I know we sort of get the iconography from the pirate, but, like, where, how did we end up, like, who who sort of popularized pirates? to the point that they're such an icon now. You know what I mean? Well, originally, uh, the first person who really wrote about the pirates and who knew them was uh, Daniel Defoe, the guy that wrote uh, Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. Uh, he actually spent some time in jails when he was younger, and he was bumping elbows with pirates, so he got to know them pretty well. Uh, he actually wrote a book about pirates, which is at least partly accurate. We don't know exactly how accurate or inaccurate it is, but it is at least to some extent accurate. Yeah. Uh, he knew them pretty well. Okay. So that sort of like set off the, the pirate craze in a way. Well, or, originally. We're talking back in their own day. Right, right. About the only source you could go to in their own day who knew anything about them. As to when they became really popular in the public consciousness, that's hard to say. Uh, I want to say that uh, Gilbert and Sullivan and... Um, J.M. Barry did a hell of a lot to popularize them, just with, like, Pirates of Penzance and uh, Peter Pan, of course. Yeah. Uh, I think that's when they first really became part of uh, popular culture. Right, right. It's crazy. It's uh, it's an interesting sort of, uh, yeah. Clearly there's, some, there's something there, I think, that resonates with within us, in a sense. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? There's a sort of, like... There's a reason, because they, cause they depict pirates as these bad, bad people, you know, in a way. It's like, oh, they rape and pillage and all that that stuff. But they're That's so the popular. the winners history. What's that? <laughs> the winners write the history. Ah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a book. One of the books that is my first is, um, I can't remember the name of it right now. I think it's called The Pirate Wars. This is written by a guy who takes the... Pirates are evil viewpoint, mm -hmm. just straight up. So there are a bunch of seagoing biker gangs, that are evil, horrible, notorious terrorists, hate them, despise them, they were evil. Evil, 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 I tell you. 
Well, his sources were nothing but British Admiralty records. Ah. Going, to British Admi- going to the British Admiralty records for a report on the pirates is like going to Fox News for a report on the Democrats. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be straight propaganda through and through. Now, the funny thing is, even though this is the guy's thesis, all the reports he got from the British Admiralty on Blackbeard talked about what a great guy he was, and this was from his captives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. His captives said he treated me very well. You know, he kept me for a while, as long as he needed me, and he let me go. Uh, he was perfectly honorable about it. He treated me very well the whole time I was with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are all kinds of reports, specifically about Blackbeard, that was supposed to be the worst of a lot. Uh, but everyone who was a captive of him said he was a great guy. Weird. Well, what's how come you mentioned uh, that Blackbeard, he was, I don't know if it was Blackbeard, actually, but you mentioned someone was um, sort of, someone someone started the whole pirate uh, brotherhood that you talked about originally. I apologize. He was one of them. There were five. I don't remember all their names. Who was right the main one that you head. mentioned, though? You mentioned the, a main. The main one was Benjamin Hornigold. Yeah, how come, he and... seems like he doesn't, uh, you would think that someone with that sort of, uh, historical cachet in a sense would be more well known, but I've never even heard of the dude till I talked to you tonight. He was one peaceful guy, let me tell you what. Benjamin Hornigold was a real gentleman pirate. Uh, he had problems. He got deposed by his own crew, which was a very peaceful process. It was a democratic vote. And he got deposed by his own crew eventually and went his own way and Blackbeard went with him because Blackbeard was kind of his number two. Uh, pretty much all their lives. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Hornigold was one of those very patriotic pirates who did not want to attack English shipping. He was a Jacobite, but he didn't want to attack English shipping. When he had to attack English shipping, he was very gentlemanly about it. He only took the supplies that he needed. He tried never to do violence, and if he did, he kept it to a bare minimum. Uh, He was very, very gracious to the ships that he took, and he gave the ships back to the people that he attacked. He basically kind of came on board and said, sorry, but uh, we need supplies. Um, Go about your business. <laughs> Leave you alone now. He was a real gentleman when it came to attacking the English. He didn't want to do it. The only times he ever attacked English shipping were when he was desperate for supplies or when his crew overruled him, which they often did when it, as far as attacking English ships went. Pirate captains were not tyrants. Uh, they could be deposed. They were exactly like American Indian tribes. It, they were put in by popular vote, and they could be removed exactly the same way at any given time. Yeah. They were always impeachable. Any pirate could just get on deck and say, dudes, I think this guy's is not doing a good enough job. What do you all say? And they'd pull a vote. <laughs> and if they decided you have to go, they'd, just, they'd give you a ship and let you on your way or drop you off on shore or what have you. But it's, well, you're not our captain anymore. Or you could continue sailing with them and just not be captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Huh. So they get a bad rap in a sense is what we're saying. Yeah, but especially compared to what you're saying about some sort. of these other situations where they were like forcing dudes into into uh, you know forcing people to join the uh, the British Navy and shit. So they were doing just as bad stuff. There were rare occasions when pirates did actually impress people into their service. The people they impressed into their service were either um, ship carpenters that they needed at the time, ship's doctors. Ship's doctors were a prize. If you picked up a doctor, you held on to him. Really? Because, oh, yeah, really no medicine back then. Right, makes sense, yeah. We get the term sawbones from these guys because the doctor then was usually the carpenter. He was someone that could saw through the bones and hopefully not kill whoever he was sawing through the bones on when they were cutting off a bad limb. Jesus. That's where the term comes from. So if you found a doctor, you held on to him whether he wanted to stay with you or not. (laughs) They treated them well. 
and they would always set them off back on shore where they wanted to go when they were done with them. Yeah. So they might end up sailing with them for a few years. In virtually every report, every report that I have heard in any event, everyone that ever sailed with the pirates and was impressed into their service was not many. Usually spoke very well of them. Uh, they always said, man, they treated me well. Um, there was one guy, he was a doctor, as a matter of fact, who was impressed into service. Definitely did not want to be a pirate, was against it the entire time he was there, but spoke well of them when he was set on shore. The only reason he was not hanged as a pirate is because the pirates took him in the first place because they had a badly injured mate. Yeah. He saved the badly injured mate, and they were incredibly grateful to him. They were so grateful that they paid him in silver buttons off of a coat. He did not keep those silver buttons. He gave them to someone else. That's the only thing that kept him from being hanged as a pirate. He's giving away the buttons. Yep. Ha <laughs> ha, nice. Wow, interesting. Well, you don't want to be, you know, a doctor. So, th- th- yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like amused in a sense because I'm thinking of uh, the movie uh, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, but there's... Oh, yeah, it's a very funny movie. Yeah, yeah, and the pirate scene. I'm thinking of that whole thing because they take that, don't they, they? they take the dude. I forget what the dude's role in the... He was like a little nerdy, like, accountant dude, and they, like, took him or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, a, it's an extremely funny movie. Yeah, it would have been very similar. Yeah. They also kept musicians. Really? Pirates, yes, they loved musicians. If you happened to play an instrument, they would probably hang on to you because they loved musicians. And they'd probably treat you pretty good, right? It's, that's the kind of weird very part well. it. It's like if you're, They yeah. would treat you very well. If you played the violin, if you played the guitar, if you played anything in particular, they, they would love you. <laughs> that's so weird. Oh, my God. Yeah. Very strange. Very strange. Pirates, man. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to hold off on this question from uh, my crazy friend here because uh, he's he's insane. So let me see if we got <laughs> we got anything else in the uh, in the till here. Sea people and and all kinds of stuff. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, do you think? Um, let me see if I, I got anything else here. This doesn't really. None of this really connects to your UFO work, though, right? In a sense, or does that, do you see any connection between your grand sort of theories on on UFOs and uh, you know the ancient times and and how this might connect in any way to to pirate culture? I'm not sure. To tell that that's the only honest answer I can give you. Yeah. I'm not sure, and the reason I'm saying that is because this connection that I'm seeing between a lot of these civilizations, like the Norse, the Phoenicians, the Egyptians, and the Celts, just for starters is the Indo-Europeans. Yeah. Uh, the Indo-European culture is its own particular culture with its own particular language. That is how we recognize them. This culture traveled all over the old world. It was all the hell over the place. We don't know exactly who these people were. We recognize some of the races involved. They were in India. Uh, they were in the Baltic. They were in um, the Balkans. Uh, they pretty much occupied all of Europe at one time or another, and they did that largely through the Celts, as a matter of fact. The Celts were very, very widespread, uh, and they were very definitely an Indo-European people. Their language is very close to Indo- the original Indo-European. So I don't know how much of that influence or that culture originated with us or how much of it was imposed from someplace else. I believe it was probably imposed from someplace else, which is why we have all these sky gods. Uh, that's where they came from. They all lived in the sky. Yeah. That's kind of where it started. 
but that's something that I've been working on for a very long time and probably will be for the rest of my life. It's one of those chicken or the egg questions, and it's very, very difficult to answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think there's definitely some kind of like this. I feel like the pirates that there is, like we were talking about, how there seems to be some lineage there. Uh, yeah, but I feel like maybe there's certainly like if there was hidden knowledge, the, the the seafaring people had it. You know what I mean? I feel like that's just I don't know. I just get that feeling. If that makes any sense. Well, the, the races that most fascinate me and the ones that I tie most closely to the Indo-Europeans are those seafaring races, the advanced seafaring races. Mm. They're the ones that make a real splash in history, so to speak. Uh-huh. They do so. <laughs> yeah. Yar. Arr. There you go. They, they do that because, damn, they were everywhere because <laughs> they had ships. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things about the Celts, and this amazes me, I've done a whole lot of research on the Celts. I've talked a lot about them in uh, Architects of the Underworld. The thing about the Celts is that no one ever talks about there being a seafaring race. I've read all kinds of scholars about the Celts, and the most that you ever hear about that is they'll bring up one ship model that they found from a Celtic grave site, and they say, well, see, ships, and that's all you'll ever hear about it. Yeah. But these guys were everywhere before practically anyone else in the ancient world. They were in the British Isles before anybody else except one North African race, and they went to war with that North African race and wiped them out and drove them out. But they got there before the Romans, they got there before the Greeks, and to all appearances, they got there before the Phoenicians. No one knows when they got there. They were in Iberia before everybody else, the southern peninsula of Spain. Uh, how did they get there? They were seafarers. That's how they got there. Yeah. Now, the only time that I've found their ships commented upon uh, is in references to the ancients, specifically Julius Caesar. The Romans and the Celts hated each other. They had a hate on like nobody's business. Yeah. But that was because Brennus actually sacked Rome. Brennus was the head of a whole gang of Celts. Uh, the, they got together. They got pissed off at Rome. They marched straight to the gates of Rome, seized the city, held on to it for the better part of a year, and ransomed it back for a hell of a lot. Well, after that, the Romans just hated their guts and spent the rest of their lives doing everything they could to eradicate them, eventually succeeding. Yeah. But it took them a long time to do that. Well, Julius Caesar was one of the guys that was busy doing that. He did it in the Iberian Peninsula, and uh, I believe he may have done it a little bit in the British Isles, too. I'm not positive of that. Uh, in any event, Caesar was a real megalomaniac, and you have to take his entire memoirs, which are voluminous, with a grain of salt, because he was always putting himself in the best possible light. He was a real narcissist. Yeah. Caesar openly admitted total failure against the Celtic Navy. <laughs> total. <laughs> he was wiped out by them. The Roman strategy at that time in naval attacks, he was in Byrene galleys. Byrene galleys are made to ram and sink a ship. Uh, they've got really heavy prows with points to them, mm-hmm. and you rammed that against the enemy ship and sank it. He didn't sink a single one of the Celtic ships. He sank every single one of his own that rammed into them. <laughs> The only way that he ended up finally taking them was by double manning his galleys with soldiers, ramming the Celtic ships anyway and sinking his own. And while his own ships were sinking, they all did a pirate board. They just jumped on board yelling and screaming and got in the Celt spaces and beat the shit out of them and took their ships. Damn. That was the only way he was able to take them out. (laughs) That's how good their ships were. Wow, all right. 
So I'm trying to think how we got onto that. From UFOs? Well, we were getting back to the Indo-Europeans and the Celts and the fact that the, the I was talking about the seafaring races. Yes, yes. Just yes, these yes. these really impressive seafaring races that got to places other people didn't get to or got there before everyone else did. Right, right. And the reason I brought it up with the Celts is because no matter how much research you do on the Celts, it's, you know, everyone talks about the Vikings being seafarers or the Phoenicians or even the Egyptians, though they still insist that the Egyptians had no transcontinental contact. Uh, all evidence to the contrary. So they'll talk about them, but they never bring up the Celts. But they're in Julius Caesar's own handwriting. We've got it. He's saying, man, these guys are the best. <laughs> they go and they live flipping everywhere. And the scholars will they'll show you all the places that the Celts were and how early they got there. And the only way they could have got there was by ship. But yeah. they never talk about these guys' ships or that they were a seafaring race, let alone an advanced one. Yeah, why do you think that? Why do you think they don't get the credit that they uh, should get? I'll tell you the truth. I think they're just blind. It's kind of like looking at the Sphinx and automatically assuming, even if you're a trained geologist who knows better, that it's wind eroded when it is, in fact, water eroded. Hmm. That was how uh, everyone's heard this story before, but I'll repeat it. John Anthony West did a little trick one time to a geologist and said it to the geologist that way right up front. He said, look, I'm pulling a little bit of a trick on you, but just bear with me, okay? And the guy said, sure. He said, can you identify the difference between wind and water erosion in rock? And he said, absolutely, they're completely different. He said, all right, let me show you a picture of something. You tell me whether this is wind or water erosion. And he showed him a picture of some rock. And the guy took one look at it, and he said, this is water erosion. And he explained how. He yeah. showed exactly how it was water erosion and nothing else. could not possibly be wind. And Weston said, okay, here's the trick. He pulled some masking tape off the top and bottom of the picture yes, to reveal the paws on the head of the Sphinx. The geologist's reaction was, oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, how many trained geologists for how many generations have looked at the Sphinx and not realized that it was water erosion because it's the Sphinx? Right, right. They're not seeing the actual rock. They're seeing Sphinx and automatically tuning out what their eyes are seeing. Yeah. I think that's kind of what's taking place with the Celts. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. What's your Thanksgiving song? No, 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 Pass no. the cranberry sauce. We're having mashed potatoes. Oh, the turkey looks great. Lynn. Thank you for loving me. Lynn. Thank you for being there. Oh, God. Everyone's thanking. Lynn. The whole world's thanking you. Stop. Thanking Lynn. us for thanking Stop. you. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Resort. We're having mashed potatoes. Oh, the turkey looks great. Thank you for loving me. Lynn. Thank you for being there. Please. Thank you for loving me. Everyone's thanking. The whole Lynn. world's thanking you. Thanking Stop. us for thanking you. Hibbley wants to know. It's kind of uh, interesting. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this sort of... Uh, we, we, I guess, yeah, we talked about the uh, the, the Gopeli Tepe, uh, but he wants to know th about the monolithic cultures, you know, Stonehenge, Newgrange. Do you think this connects? How does this all connect? How does that, excuse me, connect to what we've been talking about, seafaring races? I, I think that I, I think that really the seafaring cultures are the ones that sort of like you were saying here about they get to places first. I think that's what it is. I think it's like the first the first real culture we had was on the sea in a sense maybe these are the guys that i'm calling the indo-europeans 
this is another one of those blind spots. See, there are some people that just, uh, it's actually reached the point now where you'll find a handful of scholars who try to deny that there were even Indo-Europeans, that there was actually a culture that was the Indo-Europeans. I just look at them like they're idiots. Dude, we have traces of them all over the damn world. (laughs) We have their language. We have remnants of them. They were all the hell over the place. They were the dominant culture. Wherever they went, they were the dominant culture. These are the guys that I at least credit with building the megaliths. I think they were behind all of them. Uh, whether that was one specific culture in antiquity or a number of cultures that picked up the knowledge of how to do it from them, I'm not sure how close that was. My guess is that the original Indo-Europeans were the guys that came from upstairs. They came from not this world. And we carried on their tradition for as long as we could remember it. We either lost it during a catastrophe or we just lost it over superstition and laziness over the years. Yeah, yeah. But but those are the guys I call the Indo-Europeans. They're the ones I credit with building all that stuff. Yeah, okay. I think that explains what he's asking for there. I lost my train of thought here while I was listening to your answer. But so, yeah. So really there's no more pirates in the sense like the old style. Now they're like criminals. Now they're like, they don't, there's no sort of... um, there's no honor among thieves anymore. Exactly. That's exactly what I was looking to say. Good job there, Bruce. Yep. Yes. These guys appear yeah. mercenaries now. There were mercenaries even in the days of, of Golden Age pirates. Make no mistake about it. But the majority of them were the Brethren of the Coast. Hmm. Any of the ones that styled themselves as Brethren of the Coast were not those kind of pirates. They were completely different. Uh, that kind, they're completely gone now. We've got nothing but mercenaries. Now, what about other culture? Now, you you know, you talked about the Golden Age pirates, but what about other other? Because clearly, other sort of uh, cultures had pirates. Like, were there Asian pirates? Were there? I presume there were. Were there like uh, oh, there were African <laughs> pirates? I mean, what, what was there? Do you know anything about those sort of different types of pirates? The Barbary pirates, or the original corsairs, were Berbers uh, from the North African coast, mostly. And yeah, they were very very uh, heavily into piracy. That's in the ancient world. Hmm. Uh, they were quite the power in their day. Uh, these were, as a matter of fact, they um, captured Julius Caesar and ransomed him back. Uh, he repaid them. He told them he was going to come back and kill him, and he did. He crucified all of them. Julius Caesar was a real bastard. Uh, but yeah, those are the, that's the Barbary pirates, the Berbers. Now the Asians had a lot of piracy. As a matter of fact, one of the most famous pirate captains. Speaking of uh, female pirates. Uh, one of the most famous pirates ever was an Asian um, lady pirate, and I can't think of her name now because uh, they were never my specialty. But I do remember reading quite a bit about her. And what did she? What did she do? An Asian lady pirate. What did she do? Uh, same thing all pirates did. She grabbed a lot of shipping. She recruited a hell of a lot of people to uh, sail alongside her, and she had a bit of a pirate fleet. And she kind of ruled the waters where she was for a long time. That's impressive. That's pretty impressive. So when they took these boats, like they, so they, they all sailed together like an armada of, uh, of of boats they stole. I'm not just talking about the lady pirate here. I just mean pirates in general. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Because it would Depends seem, I don't know happen. if that would be an advantage or a disadvantage to have a bunch of ships. I guess it would be an advantage because you could circle up on one ship, but uh, depended on your target. Yeah, yeah. Because you you did want secrecy and you did want stealth. Uh, most ships, you're going to go up to them and try and bamboozle them. If you're right. going after a really impressive target, like a, one of the Mughal ships, one of the Ottoman ships, then you want to you want to go with an armada because they are going to shoot at you, and they're going to do some damage. They didn't do that too often for exactly that reason. 
very, very risky, extremely dangerous. Mm. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Then they could just stash their other their other boats at pirate safe havens. There was a famous Irish woman pirate too, and I can't think of her name now. Uh, she was actually pardoned and hired by Queen Elizabeth because she was too effective against English shipping. They captured her, and she considered that she would probably be a better ally than an enemy. So that she actually sprung her and said, "Look, quit attacking English shipping, and well, let's go back in business." Here's an interesting thought: Where are there American pirates? Because, you know, you would think maybe there might be, but I don't know of any famous American pirates. I don't know any famous ones, but there were absolutely American pirates, no question about it. There were American Indian pirates. Now, we don't know their names, really, but there were American Indians who sailed among them, a few. They just liked them. (laughs) They were treated well. They were good traders. They liked uh, seeing new places, and they just sailed with them. Well, it's interesting, though, that, you know, it's like you have this golden age of pirates. You would think that there would be like a, I don't know, like a like a like an upsurge or an era of piracy along, sort of the coast of America. And I, from what I understand, I guess you don't really. There were, but they were they were mostly English pirates. Yeah. You have to bear in mind we were, you know, not really America as a nation yet. We were still colonies. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there were a lot of American pirates that were just, they were Englishmen still, or considered Englishmen, or Dutch, or what have you. Mm. Uh, Jim Jim v- uh, Vujovic, I always mess up his name. He'll get me in the chat. Jim Vujovic uh, wants to know uh, if Bruce uh, has an opinion on the Vikings navigating far enough inland to have left the Kensington runestone. I know exactly what he's talking about. Uh, I can't tell you whether the Kensington runestone is legitimate or not. That's something that I'd have to leave to the forensic analysis, which I haven't done enough of. I've read uh, arguments pro and con on it. Uh, It could be a fraud for someone who just wanted some publicity. I don't think that's the case. It could also have been a fraud just by someone who likes pulling jokes and Mm. wanted to see how far it would go. Yeah. Or it might actually be legitimate. I'm really not sure. Okay. There I'd want to talk to uh, a few experts on the subject and have them really analyze it and um, and come up with something on it. So I can't say whether it's legitimate or not. It's a question mark. All I right. do not find it difficult to believe that they came that far inland. I'm reasonably sure that they did. Uh, Vikings were pretty good explorers, and, man, were they rangy. They went all over the world. They were just like Celts. They were all over the damn world. Uh, the Vikings had tremendous influence on history. They essentially founded, they did found, uh, the original Russian throne, the uh, throne of the Ruriks. Uh, that was done by three Swedish brothers. They were, they were Ruth. Ruth is oarsmen. Mm. It was uh, Norse for oarsmen. What happened was the Russian peasants, who were tired of being picked on by the Mongols and everybody else, uh, basically came up to three Swedes and said, hey, man, uh, we would like you guys to create a country for us. Could you, like, you know, start us out? And while you're at it, could you knock up a lot of our women? Because you see what we've got here. <laughs> and you guys come from pretty good stock. And they said, sure, no problem. Within the space of about 10 years, two of them died. One of them lived, and they established the throne of Rurik, which stood for about 1,000 years. Wow. Uh, probably the longest standing throne in history, until the um, Romanovs actually supplanted it very briefly. Hmm. Weird. Interesting. Interesting. Now, Hillbilly, who uh, we've dubbed co-host for the evening, he's, he's starting to let it get to his head, I think. He wants to know, what is a swash, and how do you buckle it? Do you know anything about the history of that, <laughs> that foolishness? Yes, I do. 
Yes, I do. What is that? So now everyone can have something to throw out there at their Thanksgiving meal today. They can say, yep. uh, they can explain the swashbuckle. So what is a swash and how do you buckle it? Well done, Hillbilly. I take back my critique. Your buckle is your shield. If you swash it, you take your sword and you, you rush it up and down. It going, bang, 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 bang. It's a way of saying, come out and fight. That's swashbuckling. Interesting. So you just you just you smack your shield with your sword. You just run your sword up and down it and smack it and make a lot of noise and run up and down the street saying, "Come out and fight me, you cowards!" Where? Sometimes being a swashbuckler, they're they're just begging for trouble. Well, clearly they're 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 smacking their shield with their sword. Yep. I mean, you don't want to, you know, even to right now, especially you wouldn't want to deal with anyone doing that. Even back then, it's yeah. So that was sort of an intimidation tactic almost. Yep. That's someone that advertising they're an asshole and they want to fight. Nice. All right. <laughs> the term freebooter, by the way, is Dutch. Uh, it basically means pirate, but it's it's an actual Dutch word, freebooter. Free freebooter. Yep. I don't know if I've heard that one before. It's a Dutch word. It's a word that's frequently associated with pirates. They're called freebooters, and it's because it's a Dutch word for them. Interesting. Where did that whole ridiculous uh, uh, parrot thing come from? Do we know anything about that, or is that just uh, parrots? Uh, yeah, they you love know. parrots. Okay, they love parrots. As a matter of fact, pirate ships were frequently floating menageries. They had animals of all kinds there. A lot of them they'd eat, but they collected a lot of animals too. Monkeys, parrots. Uh, they were crazy about parrots. Really, monkeys too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They just had like a. Mon- I could see that. You'd have a. I, you know, if I was a pirate, I would have a monkey running around on the ship if you could. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They love animals. <laughs> yeah. Look, life at sea is pretty damn dull and pretty damn violent most of the time. So you did everything you could to make it pleasant. And that's why you liked having musicians and singing a lot of songs. And having animals around, all the nicer. Just more fun. Did they keep... Now, this, I feel there's no real, like, politically correct way to say this. So, uh, you know, for all the youngsters out there. Trigger warning. But did they, did they like, keep women on the ship? Because it seems like it would be very, you know... I don't know, counterintuitive, I guess, to 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 be out there for, you know, months on end, uh, you know, just all these dudes. They held the same superstition that all sailors do, which is that women are bad luck on ships. Ah, okay. All right. I've they just went on shore and they went on shore and got hookers. Okay, so it wasn't like a society on these ships in a sense. So what I'm thinking too is like to, to, did any of these dudes ever get married or something, but Jim, uh, Jim oh, points sure. out, yeah, that these women were bad luck. But, yeah, so they would just get married and they'd leave them on shore and shit, yeah. Sure. Uh, a lot of them just, they hooked up with island women, and uh, there were a lot of bastard kids of pirates all over the islands. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of descendants on the islands today that were fathered by pirates originally. Uh, so that was really common. And sometimes they take wives, uh, even several. Yeah, okay. <laughs> One in every port, so to speak. When it came to places like Nassau, yeah, there were lots of women in Nassau. And some of them would have been pirates' women. And uh, I imagine a few of them probably even sailed with the pirates, like I said, just doing the same thing that Anne Bonny did or Mary Reed, but disguising it better. Oh, okay. So that makes more sense now, too, where if it was like women are bad luck, they would have to disguise themselves, too, because they would, they would have to suffer for the, uh, the, the uh, you know, urban, urban legend, old wives' tale thing. You know, interesting. Well, it would be very bad luck if you happened to be the only woman on board a pirate ship, unless you really wanted to be raped a lot. Clearly, yeah, yeah, that was that was the tra- that was where the trigger warning came from. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, were were there? I'm sure this is uh, the case. But Jim wants to know if there were any pirates who retired rich and happy. 
I guess I'm sure some knew to get out when the time was right, right? A lot of them did. One of them, as a matter of fact, from the widow. Uh, when the widow went down, he had left the ship earlier and uh, just remained on shore. And when the widow went down, uh, he was one of the ones who smoothed the way out for a couple of the pirates. He was able to get clemency for a couple of them. Uh, he'd been a pirate himself. He'd actually sailed with them at one point. Yeah. But he retired, and he was quite rich. Uh, Henry Avery retired rich. Uh, he's one of the most famous pirates, one of the first. And, yeah, he was extremely wealthy. And he became respectable. He just took his riches and bought himself a nice estate and said, hey, I'm fat and happy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it makes sense. You Some some are smart enough to... Uh... Smart enough. Now they're see. This is what happens though. When you open up the can of worms, then they start hitting me with a million questions. But Hillbilly wants to know uh, how did it come to be a captain could perform marriages? I just assume it, I don't even know. I've never even heard that before. But I would just assume that because he's like the boss of the sea. Yep, all captains can perform marriages at sea. It's a given. I do not know where that originated. I got to be honest with you. But yeah, it's it's always been a tradition. All captains can perform a marriage at sea. Okay. All right. Well, I'm gonna take a pause on Hillbilly's questions because he's now he's he's get he's getting crazed. So we'll we'll take a moment here to mock my friend, because um, he uh, his name is Joe V. He's one of the original writers for Banal of America, and uh, every year he's obsessed with Bruce. We've talked about this on the show before. I'm concerned for Bruce's health and safety. That's why I, I try to keep Joe V. as far away from Bruce as possible. But he wrote to me as soon as I announced the Rock's giving special pirate theme he writes to me uh a pirate themed rucks giving wtf question mark and exclamation point <laughs> i won't have any questions for that exclamation point so he's all fired up <laughs> so then i said uh well since part of the rucks giving tradition is me mocking you during the program i've decided to allow you one non-pirate question not one question with three clauses dot 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 one question okay so then he writes back and manages to he, he writes back this afternoon and manages to uh, to to hit four questions in these two paragraphs. So uh, they're completely non-pirate related, but we'll get into them here because uh, they're funny in my in my heck? mind. Yeah. So Joe V, his annual uh, his annual. I'm just hanging, man. I, I'm sitting thinking Guinness. I'm just hanging, man. Oh no, I know it's nice. It's nice. Well, this is part of the – now, you know, this is part of the tradition. We're, we're kind of nearing the end of the special here. we got to rib Joe V a little bit. So here's his letter to his letter to Bruce, folks. I'm going to read it, but it reads like a letter to Santa Claus. That's why I like it so much. It's, it's like fawning in, in a childlike way. I really uh, am amused. He says, well, since I've finally become part of someone's holiday tradition, here we go, although it is more slice-of-life type of stuff. In the 1990s, Colorado had a pretty strong reputation for lots of interesting things – related to the esoteric, spirituality, Native American spirituality, UFOs, alternative history, paranormal, the whole nine yards. Even the late Michael Corbin broadcasted his Paranac continuum out of the state. You name it. And us sorry sods in the Northeast U.S. were assured Colorado had it in spades. Looking back on it now, what was this true from your experience? Well, I have to think about that for a second. Well, while you're doing that, um, I'll finish the thing in a sense, because now that I see it, he's just kind of restating the question. Was this true from your experience? Was Colorado in the midst of a brief esoteric renaissance in the 90s? If so, what were some of your favorite moments, locations, and persons? And overall, how do you think the esoteric world has weathered the last 15 years? 
So there's, there, I don't know, that's three questions right there, even though he restated one twice. But That's so, not a bad question, and it clarifies nicely. Yeah, no, 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 I know. he's. It's all in jest. It's all in jest. He knows that. So, uh, so, so and it is a very good question, because I do love this sort of uh, sociological aspect of things. And you were there in Colorado. It it did uh it has it ha it still has sort of an esoteric cachet i feel but but what was it like for you back in the day in the 90s did you did you kind of have that uh resonance that you were in the midst of something i i, I have to tell you the truth in the 90s i felt that i was the resonance in the midst of it uh i attracted a hell of a lot of people they came out of the woodwork i got to meet all kinds of people especially from esoteric brotherhoods mm-hmm. and uh we had very fascinating conversations, a lot like we're having right now, uh, only even more spirited and, and much farther reaching. Uh, I still have friendships with a lot of those people. I wouldn't say that we were any kind of recognized movement or anything like that, but uh, certainly where we were hanging out, we had a lot of people that were into esoteric stuff, and we talked quite a bit about it. It was a pretty big circle of people. Nice. Okay. And how has it he says, you know, how has it changed in the last – did it sort of die out or was it sort of like, uh, you know, people well, – but the Internet changed everything. I think that's the answer. The right? Internet changed everything is the answer. That is that is exactly correct. Uh, I don't know how much of it is actually centered in Colorado or takes place here anymore. We did have some interesting stuff going on back in the 90s. Uh, some of it just kind of fizzled. Uh, we had some flashes in the pan. Uh, Stephen Greer was kind of one of those. Uh, he was doing the whole disclosure project, and it really just comes off more as a big publicity stuff when all is said and done, and right. doesn't help. Uh, it's actually kind of harmful to the, the movement itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a little bit of that, uh, and I'm not even faulting Stephen Greer. I don't know how much of that was just a publicity stunt or how much he was just not very smart and counterproductively doing what he was doing. Hmm. But in any event, we did have a little bit of that that was taking place. Uh, but mostly, uh, I just knew a lot of people that were into the esoteric. And it was a, a, a very broad um, number of subjects on the esoteric. We talked about just everything. Uh, and I don't know how many of those people went on to their own websites. or I imagine that they all just kind of went to the Internet and carried on there. Uh, the Internet is where everything takes place anymore. Yeah, nobody meets anymore. Yeah, nobody meets anymore. It's very sad. Um, and I've noticed that, too. That that started to change in the early 2000s. Uh, about, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago, it just kind of fizzled. Uh, people didn't come out anymore. Yeah. Well, they got all excited because they could go anywhere on, in the world on their little Internet. So it was like, why why should I go down to the coffee shop? I'm looking at pictures of the Sphinx that I couldn't well, see. Well, part of it, too, yeah. we, had, we had the smoking ban, I think, in, like, 2002, uh, the public smoking ban, and that literally killed the coffee shops. It killed them. Yeah. They have never recovered from it. Uh, they're just ghost towns anymore. Well, what's the pot smoking situation then? Can you go to a place and smoke? So you can go to a place and smoke weed, and you can't? Or can you buy, do you just buy the weed and you go home and smoke it? You buy it and go home and smoke it. Oh, they don't have, like, places you can all sit around and get, get stoned together like in Amsterdam? You know, they probably do. There's a provision in the, I I haven't come across them. Um, there is a provision in the anti-smoking law that if uh, X percentage of your profits comes from selling tobacco-related products, and it's a very high percentage, but if it comes from that, 
then you can smoke in those establishments. Okay, so like if so you have a cigar shop, you can you can have a little exactly. Yeah. So my guess is that they probably do have some shops here and there that I just don't know about, uh, where they sell or they carry a lot of cigars and cigarettes just so they could get past that and have people come in and smoke pot. Yeah. Interesting. Have you noticed much change there uh, since the marijuana law? It's really kind of taken, you know, it's it's the, the you know, the newness of it's kind of gone. So have you noticed any sort of sociological change to the to the environment, you know, to society there since uh, they enacted it? It's kind of like the guinea pig test case for the rest of the country. So That's exactly what it is, and everyone's kind of watching it very carefully on account of that. Hmm. Uh, it's an extremely successful. There are two things I can tell you straight off the bat about it. One, it's the best accounted for business in the state. I know someone who works taxes, and he said these guys have always got their taxes perfect. They never try and slide anything. They're just model textbook citizens when it comes to that. Right, right. And I believe him. I yeah, yeah, you don't that. want that kind of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, straight up. So these guys are the best businessmen you're going to come across. And they're totally honest with you. And the other thing, if there's a sociological thing that I've noticed, it's this. And I noticed this on the same day that someone mentioned it on the radio, so I busted up. I noticed a lot of people driving really slow on the roads. <laughs> <laughs> I had no sooner, I was in my car noticing it, and I noticed this for a few days, and I was just thinking, man, why are all these people driving so slow? And as, as I was thinking that, I was listening to a radio station, and the DJs were talking about the same thing, and they said, you know what it is? It's the pot. Everyone, when they smoke pot, they don't drive faster. They all drive slow because they don't want to get pulled over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what's the... Is there is there like is it is there more or less accidents? I'm wondering about that because I'm sure uh, people might be concerned. I don't about know. That. You don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm curious about that myself. Yeah, yeah. Someone should look that up and tell us. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think they're trying to do it here in Massachusetts. So, I think they'll eventually just do it everywhere. This seems like one of those things that's like it just takes forever, but you know what's going to happen. You know, so they just hurry up and do it. I'm glad they did it. I'd wanted them to do it for ages. Uh, primarily just for tax purposes and for um, for commerce. It's like, exactly. dude, we are bankrupting ourselves with all these illegal wars we're throwing everywhere, and what do you do for commerce? Well, you legalize pot and you tax the crap out of it, and bam, it works, which is why that the feds finally can let us enact the thing that we had voted in for well over a decade before that. It was always coming up in every ballot, should be legalized pot. And every single time, overwhelmingly, the vote was yes. And every single time, it wouldn't pass because the feds would step in and say, you can't, it's illegal. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, they just didn't. And uh, that's because they're using it as sort of a pilot program seeing how it flies. It's flying really well, as far as I can see. Yeah, I think it'll happen eventually. Plus, you talk about the, you know, the powers that be and everything, and they want to keep people like uh, checked out on on society and everything. It's a, it's like a double-edged, you know, it's a double whammy. It's a double dip. They get to tax these people while also sort of letting them get stoned and not care about shit so they can do other stuff we don't like, you know. So Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You want to keep your you want to keep your populace fat and happy or at least stupid. Exactly. And, um, yeah. They do a pretty good job of it. Well, we're nearing we've got about 15 minutes left. I I I know you. We can go a little bit over, right? You don't care about that. Oh, yeah, I've got no problem at all. Yeah, I figured it'd be. I'm amazed we're doing this well. I was afraid we were going to choke. Oh, no way, man. We, uh, 
you know, if anything, I've I've sort of stalled out a few times because I'm a little bit, little bit out of uh, out of rhythm because it's been almost a month since I've done a show. But uh, no, 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 oh, you've, been, you've been awesome, man. Thanks, thanks. Uh, there's plenty to talk about. Well, that's the thing. There's plenty to talk about with these pirates. Is there anything that we we left out here that you know I should have mentioned or or you had on your mind that hasn't come up yet uh, with regards to the pirates? Because uh, I want to start talking about some other stuff with you, like uh, like I just. Yeah, oh, actually, oh, yeah. Well, let's finish that. Are we are we are we ready to move on from pirates? <laughs> sure, we we can move on whatever you want to. Okay. One thing I was going to mention: yeah. the, the reason that I see a similarity in these what I call the Indo-European seafaring nations mm-hmm. uh, is because of these massive similarities in their cultures. For instance, not only are the ships very similar, but these guys all have the same customs. I mean, the the idea of Vikings burning their dead at sea. If they actually did that, we don't have any record of it. The real problem with a lot of these uh, nations, all of them, in fact, is they just didn't leave us any written history. Right, right. Uh, None of the Norse started writing their history down until they became Christianized, and they didn't become Christianized until after 1000 AD, right about that time. There was kind of a civil war that took place between a lot of them for one or 200 years or so while they were all Christianizing and getting rid of the old gods. But they didn't write down their history until then, and neither did the Celts. They just didn't write anything down. So we have to speculate about a lot of stuff. But archaeologically, we know that these guys buried their wealthy with their ships. Uh, That was done with the Celts. It was done with the Norse. The Egyptians did it too. Hmm. Uh, The Egyptians actually buried a full ship next to the pyramid and next to the necropolis in Giza. That was discovered, I don't remember what year it was, uh, they just there was this pit and they dug it up and there was all this wood in it and it was curved and it looked like it belongs to something but they didn't know what. So for a couple of years somebody fiddled with it and they finally realized that it was a ship. It was just disassembled. And they put the ship together and the thing is seaworthy. Wow. <laughs> you, just, you tar it, it's in a museum now. Uh you tar it and you can take that thing thing sailing. Well the Norse buried their dead with ships too. The Celts did it. Uh it, I'm not sure if the Celts buried them with ships, they I think they did. Uh, in any of we just wouldn't recognize it because it's all rotted. Uh, in any event, they buried their dead with their wealth, and they also had voluntary slaves or servants that would sometimes go with them to the afterlife. Okay. They would volunteer to be sacrificed and go with them. You find that in Egypt. You find that in the Northlands. You find that in Germany. Uh, you find it in the Celts. It's just a massive similarity between these cultures. Mm. That's why I don't think that they're all separate and that they, at the very least, had a great deal of commerce with each other all the way back into antiquity if they didn't spring from the same root. Interesting. Okay. Hillbilly wants to know, this will be our last pirate thing, uh, what about the horns on the helmet? What's the story with that? That's the Celts. That's a, a very, very common uh, misunderstanding. Well, everyone thinks that the Norse had the horns on the helmets. It was only the Celts that had horns on the helmets. Although, uh, the Norse and the Germans especially would sometimes put antlers on them. The Germans like to put antlers on their helmets. Uh, the, the Norse and the Germans are very, very, very similar. Hmm. Um, and the Germans, as a matter of fact, would sometimes wear entire animal heads. Uh, and the Norse would partly do that too. They'd put a wolf head over their own oh, yeah. or a, a bear head or a boar head or what have you. Yeah, scare them. I like to think of my ancestors going around all painted black and, you know, looking like Conan the Barbarian wearing heads. Yeah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> and by the way, this this Indo-European culture, they were all headhunters too. They all collected heads. The Norse did it, the Celts did it, they all did it. Hmm, interesting. 
All right. Well, that leaves us behind on the uh, on the pirates. Thank you, dude, for you know bringing us all this pirate knowledge tonight. Because I, like I said, I didn't know anything about pirates. Now I've learned a lot. So it was. Uh, well, I'm more than happy to. I keep threatening to write a book about it one of these days, but there's no money in it. I know. I know. You've said that before. Now I have to because I will get inundated with an email from uh, poor Joe V. Because he also this that I'm not done yet with Joe V's question. He says this is where it turns into the letter to Santa Claus. As always, I'll be enjoying something by the time this airs. Probably red wine, actually. The beer in New England is so-so. People in the Boston area will swear up and down about how good Sam Adams is. But yeah, I mean, compared to Bud Light, it is good. Shed Mountain Ale out of Vermont is actually very good. One of the few top-of-the-line brews we have out here. Of course, I've always heard good things about the beer in your neck of the woods. How is the independent... Yeah, let me finish this, guys. Yes, yes. (laughs) How is the independent craft brewery scene out in Colorado? We get some of the left-hand beers out here. I'm not sure what else we get from you guys. I have a friend who swears by Avery's Maharaja. Ever tried it? That's it. We have... I had had to finish that. Yeah, so what's this guy talking about? We have the best and most numerous independent breweries in the country and possibly in the world in uh, Colorado. That's no joke. My housemates buy from them all the time. My favorite of the bunch is Dry Dock, which is not very far from me. They make a thing called Wee Heavy. It is the most delicious beer I've ever had in my entire life. In fact, I'd be drinking it right now if I could just find a store nearby that sold it. Uh, That's why I'm drinking Guinness right I love Guinness too. But when I have my brothers... I go for the Wee Heavy from Dry Dock. We have a number of them out here. I can't remember the names of all of them, but I'm sampling them all the time. And most of them are very, very good. Uh, The one that you named specifically sounds like, I could be mistaken on this, it sounds like an Indian pale ale. I don't like Indian pale ales. They're too hoppy for me, and they give me bile. Me too. I hate Uh, Indian pale ales. Yeah, I can't stand them. And they're they way too really, popular now. It's ridiculous. Oh, my God. They have a super bitter aftertaste. It oh, they're the worst. They're the worst. Yeah. I, I got to a big, uh, well, not an argument, but, yeah, I had to, had to formally complain to my local liquor store because it's like all they have is IPAs. I'm like, enough of these things, dude. They're awful. Yeah, I sampled one of those, and it's like, oh, man, uh, that was really hard to get through. Right, right. I'm usually a stout guy. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I do have to say this. I love Sam Adams. <laughs> it's one of my favorite breweries. Uh, I, do, I can't remember ever having an Adams beer that I didn't like. Um, but ordinarily, I tend towards stouts. I'll drink the occasional lager. I drink some St. Pauli Girl. Um, and I, I just love stouts. Uh, but I'll drink just about anything. Mm. Um, but our breweries out here, we have fantastic breweries out here. Yeah. And I've only in the last few months really been uh, learning who they are and becoming aware of them and sampling their goods. And what I've sampled is good. Nice. Except for the Indian Pale Ale. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't get it myself. The Indian Pale Ale, but it's popular. You know, I don't get it, but people really, it's really hip right now. So you talked about, uh, well, okay. How about one more? I got another idea here. This isn't pirates. Uh, but something we always talk about on the show. It seems like every time we get you on the show, we get an update on the marijuana laws in Colorado. And we also, uh, well, I guess this year, we can kind of close the book on this uh, James Holmes guy 
it sounds like uh, is, is he going to try and appeal this, or are they just going to send him to jail forever? Or has he given you know? Because the last I heard, I believe this year he got he was found guilty for like a million crimes, and uh, you know, sentenced. Oh yeah, to 3, yeah they got him on everything. Jail. Yeah, yeah. So he's like completely, you know, he's done. Um, a actually, I have two questions because this is I presume you followed the trial. Uh, I w- I hope someone writes a book about it because like I. I'm sure there was a lot of interesting sort of revelations that came out during the trial. Was there anything that came out during the trial that you thought was particularly interesting? Well, I got to tell you, I was disappointed with the transparency of the trial. Uh, I expected it to be much, much more available than it was. You had to kind of just go on to, uh, you had to go onto your computer and log into like uh, the news channels in order to get any real news on it from the trial itself. Uh, what disappointed me, I mean, obviously they were trying to nail Holmes, and I'm certain that Holmes was up to his eyebrows and well beyond in all of this stuff. But I have never believed that he acts alone. There were other people involved in it. And, of course, the trial wasn't dealing with that. But I really wanted a lot of that stuff to come out. I'm with you. I want someone to really write a book on this. I want much more information than I got. I don't have any doubt that they got the right guy, but they only got one of the right guys. I'm certain that there were other people involved in this. Really? Yeah. Well, what do you mean you're certain? You're just certain sort of like on a gut level. You don't you don't like this. Is there anything that you think stands out just that he was so uh so, you know, well versed in in the uh, you know, in the explosives and shit? Yep. That's exactly it. So how the hell did this guy wire his place? That place was wired to take out the entire block. It would have taken out the entire block, and the neighboring blocks would have caught on fire. But he was a super genius, though. Couldn't he have just like spent some time learning that shit? Because he had no, because he was obsessed and and a super genius. Dude, this guy is a schizophrenic. I don't know any schizophrenic that could possibly think that that well through. Yeah, not any. <clears throat> Somebody helped him with this shit. Well, we'll definitely never find out, then, dude. We will definitely never find out, and the closest we will come. I'll tell you exactly what I think happened. I think law enforcement knows all about it. They decided to go after Holmes because Holmes was definitely involved and he was the guy they could nail. And that brought some closure to it. What I think actually happened was an event-level attack. I think it was something like Columbine. I do. I actually believe it was something state-sponsored, and that's why we'll never hear about it. They're going to keep the lid on it super, super tight. They'll be going at it as, as well as they possibly can behind the scenes, and I have faith in them in that. I believe they will do a very good job. But I would like to know about it. What do you mean with state-sponsored? Like it was a foreign attack or it was like a, a false flag that they were going to set up a false flag attack? Either or. The point is that I believe that there was some other – I believe some government was involved in it. And he's just it a was patsy, sponsored. kind of. Yes, it was sponsored. He wasn't entirely a patsy. He knew. He was involved in it. He was part of it. Why doesn't he say so, anything? Or if he has, they just don't – like how would we know, right? Because it's not going to – How would call, we know? Call ABC and be like, I'm going to blow the whistle on the people that, you know, I worked with on this. Because no they'd be like, shut up, and beat him with a baton, throw him back in his jail cell, right? How would we know? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty, yeah, yeah. He's a, it, yeah. Well, the whole thing is, like, really strange in a way, too, where you see, like, somebody that, it's like, I wish someone... You you almost wish like someone would interview him in a sense, just because he, he's so fucking mysterious. You know what I mean? I've never even heard the dude talk, so except for that one presentation they had on, like on YouTube. But it's like, you know, it 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 it, it would. He's entirely dependent, sort of, on the portrayal in the media. So it's like, what is this dude's deal? You know what I'm saying? 
Well, this is like getting a Titanic story without the iceberg. <laughs> yeah, the Titanic went down, and we know it hit something. We got to talk about the iceberg. Uh, there's there's just more to this story than we know. When they when they hit his apartment the next morning, I watched this as it was happening. I had just gotten back. The police had just driven me home from where we all gave our reports to the FBI and Homeland Security and everyone else. I turned on the TV, and the first thing I see are all the FBI specialists at this guy's apartment. We've got the live feed coming in, and these guys are getting right on the airwaves and saying, man, this place is the most wired place I have ever seen. I'm the expert in this stuff. I have never seen anything this advanced. He's just saying that straight up. That tells me everything I need to know. I do not believe that some guy on the street, I don't care how bright he was, was that well connected that he got this stuff and was able to hook it up in a way that the best FBI experts had never seen it before. And man, did they have to really, really be careful taking that thing apart. Yeah. Interesting. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just don't know. It's it's odd. I don't know anyone who... Uh... I don't know anyone who really is like I'm sure there's conspiracy people who are digging into this, but I don't know anyone who's sort of putting out any theory on this, you know. So I don't either. I don't have one of my own. Because the dude is such a cipher that it's like impossible. Like I don't know who the fuck his friends were or anything like that. I don't know how you would even go about trying to find that out. So it's like it's very very difficult uh, to try and get to the bottom of, you know. I don't have a theory of my own. The only theory I've got is other people were involved and if other people were involved they were very well connected to whoever the hell they were yeah but that's the only theory i've got i I can't tell you who i don't know who would have who would have sponsored it who would have been responsible i do believe it was sponsored yeah well it's uh it's an interesting case it's an interesting case i don't think we'll i don't i don't think we'll even i don't know i think like i said just now when i said we were closing the book on it like i said and how i don't think we'll ever really know i think it's now it's just going to be now it's just going to be like sort of put back into in, into the into the bookshelf if you will you know what i mean it's like we're never really no, no one's going to really dig much more into it unfortunately i hope someone does but i, I really know. hope someone does yeah. this is a case that i really really want to read a book about very well researched book mm. oh absolutely yeah Someone needs to like talk to that dude's girlfriend. He, he had a girlfriend, so if anyone would know anything, maybe she would. But who knows? She's been gone. Well, the guy was fifty. Now. The guy was fifty different kinds of fucked up. I don't doubt that. But I don't believe that a guy that 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 screwed up could have done this. Not alone. Yeah. Have you? Uh, Jim. Jim asks me this. I uh, I'm about to answer him on. The, I'll just say it actually. That way I don't have to type it. But he asks. Uh, have you heard? Have you seen? Hold on, let me look at the time we have left here so I can just, like, have a clean uh, sure. good night to the live listeners. Yeah, we got, like, a minute and a half, so we'll, we'll here's what we'll do. We'll say good night to the live listeners and then just go right into the after chat so the people who are listening live have a, have a good, uh, <laughs> have a good uh, cliffhanger. Um, well, thank you, obviously, to all the live listeners. Thanks to Hillbilly and Jim Vujovich for the uh, fantastic questions. Hillbilly really, uh, especially, he was just firing away with questions. And uh, we're going to keep talking, Bruce, but thank you again for uh, coming on for Ruxgiving, and happy Thanksgiving, buddy. Oh, absolutely, you too, and everybody. All right, there you go. Thanks to all the live listeners. Thanks to the folks in the chat room. Now, the question here, as we got a minute left, the uh, the, the cliffhanger, uh, Jim Vujovich wants to know what you think of, have you seen this whole uh, crisis actor theory? 
that people uh, are promulgating the conspiracy realm. They say that like these crisis actors are they're they're on all the news when these things happen, and these things aren't really actually happening. You know, like Sandy Hook and all these other. And, and yes, and the, I am you know, familiar with that. I hate that whole conspiracy theory. That's why uh, I just I just can't. I just can't get on board with the whole crisis actor idea. But what what do you think of that whole idea? Because you you actually come from the world of uh, acting, entertainment, and that sort of thing. So you might have an, a unique perspective. Well, I have a problem believing that this is one of the reasons I prefer better transparency in the trial. I have uh, difficulty believing that we could come up with a bunch of dead bodies. You know. Right. Exactly. Uh, That's what always trips me up. It's like, dude, all these kids died. Like these parents aren't making it up. So yeah. Exactly. The one thing I do have to say on that, I, I have to admit this straight up, we did not see or hear a damn thing. We didn't see a drop of blood, nothing. I do have to say that. But I do believe that something happened there, yeah. 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 Well, it's very uh, it's very weird, yeah. So I don't get why they I – don't, I don't get that whole crisis actor thing. I find it completely unbelievable. And then people post pictures like where they show, oh, this was a person was a witness to this, and then this person was a witness to that, and they are – it's the same person. It's like I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, it may happen like one out of one hundred. You know, there may be some people that they sort of plant as government people to be witnesses. But it's like, if they're gonna go through all that trouble, dude, they're not gonna make a simple mistake by like bringing the same person out, you know, as a witness to three different shootings. Like they're they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna make that if, it, if it's that elaborate a conspiracy, they're not gonna make that simple a mistake. I think. Well, that's just it. I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bath. I do have to say that I'm I'm pretty convinced a lot of people got killed. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, now, I have here scribbled on my notes, uh, scribbled on a, a piece of paper, because uh, I didn't want to forget it while we were talking on the show. Have you been following this new thing with the pyramid and the, and the, and the sonar or whatever they're using, sound thing? To, they, found like a, they found something new in the pyramid, right? Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. What's the story uh, with that? Translate well, it for they, us who don't follow the pyramid. You're you're my pyramid uh, expert. So what's the story? What they found is what appears to be some kind of chamber at ground level, uh, I believe, on the east side of the pyramid. Uh, I'm very interested in finding out what that is. What it's, what that means is there's a hollow area behind it, hmm. and they need to get to that hollow area. That's going to take a while for them to smooth through. <laughs> but I'll be very interested in seeing what they come up with on it. Yeah. Do you have any theory on what it might be? Really good question. There's been absolutely nothing else found in the pyramid, really. I mean, there are no grave ceremonies or anything like that, uh, no treasure, no artifacts. Well, very, very few artifacts. There are a couple of things that were found way back. Um, there was a copper hook and ball, uh, which has kind of been forgotten and have disappeared from the museum, actually. Uh, but... There were a couple of very small items that were found in the pyramid, but they appear to have been intrusive at a later date. The point is that there's just nothing in the pyramid. Mm. So I'm imagining they'll probably find just a kind of an empty hollow there, but I'm interested in finding out what is in that empty hollow. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, because presumably the pyramids are so old. Like, presumably all the shit we're finding now, someone else in antiquity knew about. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's like, clearly, if there was anything like a super golden awesome thing, like someone already got it. If there was anything there, it was gone. But it, it's difficult to imagine there was anything there because we know when it was broken into, and they would have reported it. 
Uh, they went to an awful lot of trouble to break into that pyramid, and when they didn't find anything, they were pretty disappointed. Yeah. What do you think of the whole idea of Edgar Casey and the Hall of Records under the Sphinx paw? Have you looked at that whole idea? There's something under the Sphinx's paw, I can tell you that. You can see from the air uh, in aerial photographs, there's a depression that looks like a corridor that stretches from the uh, rump of the Sphinx all the way to the front of the pyramid. There's a corridor down there. I'm certain there's a corridor down there. Uh, there's it's difficult to explain any other reason why there would be that depression that you can see from the air otherwise. So, yeah, let's find out what's under there. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Well, like I said, though, if there is anything cool there, they, you know, I would hope it would suck if they fuck, if they, excuse me, it would suck if they went into the, if they, you know, if they found the, the, the where the Hall of Records should be under the pod, like went in there and it was empty. You know what I mean? Because like you want, I, you would want, I, w- I wish they were Alpha like. phone's vault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what it's going to be like, you know. I wish there was like cool stuff they could still find in the pyramids. But like I'm thinking as we talk and like I said, it's like. Eh, if there was a Hall of Records, like, you know, some other culture a long time ago probably took it, and they probably, like, broke it. <laughs> like, you know, they probably kept it in the library, and that got burned down when they were taken over, and no one knew. You know what I mean? So it's like, ah, oh, geez. Yeah. My guess if there was anything there is that it got moved a long time ago someplace else. That's just a guess. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's like, well, where is it now? We'll never know. You know, does it even exist anymore? We have no idea. It's, very it's in that big warehouse with the Ark of the Covenant. Exactly, exactly. Oh, man. So, I'm trying to think of what else is going on that I might want to... I'm still a little... I think I was kind of stupefied last year when you talked about this James Holmes thing. I'm still... Uh, I wish someone would look into it. If anyone out there is looking into this thing, let us know. Because uh, Bruce I and I... I very much want to know more. ...devour it. I got, I got looked into it a lot last night, actually, because I was getting ready for our show, and I was like... What exactly do we know? Because, you know, we didn't really find much more out about this dude either, you know? Just well, that's he, just, just like, the you know, his girlfriend's name or something. It's sort of a loose timeline of him allegedly, like, going insane, you know what I mean? Where it's like, first he said he was going to kill people, and then we kind of started to think he would. But, you know. Well, they definitely nailed one of the right guys. He was, he was way involved. Right. And he probably is the guy that actually was the shooter. But... And I can't even be certain of that. But, yeah, I think he was probably the shooter. Uh, in any event, I don't feel bad about his sentence. Oh, no. way, way involved in all this shit. Yeah. But I, I'm just certain that he was not alone. Do you think, they'll, like, could they ever interview him? Or, like, could he ever, like, do an interview, you think? Or were they just not, not allowed? I don't know how the laws work on that kind of thing. Because he's young, dude. I mean, you'd think, like, when he turns, like, 50 or something, he'll have some perspective on all this. But who knows? Well, this is not the first time something like this has happened. Remember the John Lennon shooting was pretty much the same way. Right, right. And that, I do think, was kind of a patsy setup. Mm. Uh, I don't know exactly what took place there, but he was part of something. Mm. I don't believe the guy just acted alone. Oh, you know something you mentioned? You just jogged my memory. I need to say this, too, actually, folks, because I I hate to be a downer here uh, on Ruck's Giving, but he, uh, I, as I mentioned on Been All of America on the Facebook page, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dave McGowan, uh, Bruce, but he's a researcher. He did a lot of work on uh, Laurel Canyon and sort of uh, a lot of like mind control type stuff, I believe. And uh, we we had him on Been All of America back in February to talk about his research into Laurel Canyon. And he passed away uh, on Monday. And I wanted to make note of that and, and you know, 
just uh I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, and just salute him for uh for his work and hope that wherever he is now he's getting some answers to all this stuff. So it's a it's a yeah, real absolutely. It's a real uh <laughs> yeah, it's a real loss. I'm sure he's got a, he has a better vantage point than the rest of us. Exactly, you know, that's why I'm always sad when people who and it's scary how many people we've had on the show have passed away over the years, but it's uh you know, I always at least sort of take solace in that, that, you know, if if, if what we're all talking about here on this show is is what we think we're talking about, then chances are you don't just die and get put in a box, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, I believe there's something after. I can't say exactly what. I don't know. I don't think any of us do. But, yeah, I believe there's something after. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, condolences to Dave McGowan's family and everything. Tough time to lose somebody around the holidays. But, uh, you know, thank you to him and, and Godspeed, man. So, yeah, like I said, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that because that was, you know, we just talked to him back in February. It's kind of spooky, but, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Have some friends. Mm. Now, what about uh, what about uh, your books here? You said you, you teased sort of writing a pirate book. You should definitely do that, dude. People are crying out for for, for the rucks, man. So they would devour a, a pirate book by you. But uh, I know you're still sort of uh, having a little difficulty making the transition to get the Kindle of of the old books out, or at least to get to get some, you know, to get the old books reissued, right? What's the status well, on I, that? I don't know where to go or what to do. I'm completely. It's, um, I'm ready to do it, but I've never self-published before, which is really what we're talking about. I just don't know anything at all about that world or who it is you should go with or yeah. for any of that. I don't even know where to look. I mean, there's Lulu, but every really talentless self-published author I know publishes on Lulu. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to make myself unrespectable. Um, I, I'm just completely at sea. Yeah. I really don't know where to go. I've been doing research, and I don't know where to go. There's a there's a self-publishing house in Colorado that apparently has a uh, pretty good reputation. So I'm kind of looking at them, but uh, it's kind of path of least resistance. Uh, I Since I don't know what to do, it just kind of languishes there. Yeah, yeah. All right, well... If anyone out there can help Bruce get this book published, get his uh, his old books republished, please do. Please do. Did you work through the issue of, like, the photos, or are you just going to not do the photos? Well, the photos are not going to be an issue for the first book. Uh, and for the second book, uh, it will not be difficult to replace the ones I will need to replace, I don't think. I have found some very good ones that will work. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm just going to work on that. I'll work on issuing the first one uh, first. And uh, then I'll work out whatever I need to do with the psych I'm going to get that done. There you go, yeah. Because last I checked, let's get a look here. Let's look up on Amazon how much these books are going for. It's crazy. Let me see. Architects of the Underworld. Oh, well, it's, oh, geez. One, there's one here for $2.08, so I stand, <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. What? I know it, it goes through phases. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember <laughs> a time when Hollywood versus the Aliens was going for over 500 bucks. Yeah. I said, Dude, you're kidding. I would have gotten office copies if I'd known that. Yeah, someone snatched up a whole, someone snatched up a whole bunch, and now, uh, yeah. So I guess you can get them not too bad. It says used though. I'm always weary about buying used ones, but these. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, here's a new one. Seventy-one dollars, seventy-five dollars, eighty, hundred and three dollars for. Uh, for Architects of the Underworld by by some dude. It's new. so Yeah, I would rather just get it re-released. Uh, it, it's much better that way. Right. <laughs> I don't want people to have to, you know, spend their life savings just to pick up a damn book. 
Who would pay? Uh, that's it's crazy. I guess if they, yeah, brand new unread copy in perfect condition, A plus customer service. They say, but one hundred and three dollars. That's crazy. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I wouldn't pay that much for a book. Yeah, yeah, you know, but especially when there's a especially when there's a used one for two dollars on there. That's there you even, go. It's not even good business sense on the part of the. Uh, I guess if they sell one, they they make out all right. So they just plant. You can find it in a lot of libraries, actually. I know it's been in a lot of libraries. Really? I'll have to check with my yeah. library, yeah. Well, that's a good yeah. thing. That's a good thing. And it's thing. got an ISBN, so if they don't have it, they can actually get it, you know, on a loan for you. Right, exactly. Yeah, they can get it sent by, like, the Lexington Library or something from my, my area, yeah. Do you still look at the UFO phenomenon at all anymore? I know you kind of – you feel like you've already got it all wrapped up, but do you ever, like – does anything ever cross your path that you're like, oh, that's interesting, that fits in with what I've been looking at all these years, or, or that makes me change my opinion on things? I haven't found anything that makes me change my opinion, uh, which doesn't mean that I tune anything out. Right, right. Uh, I don't really look, but, you know, if something pops up in the news, then, yeah, I notice like anyone else does, but I don't really go looking for it. Well, you must be happy. Well, I guess everybody who's in this thing, I think anybody who listens to the show and who kind of is a researcher in all this, we already all kind of were on board the water on Mars thing. So it's like they're just catching oh, yeah. up with all of us. So Yeah. Hell, there are, there are megaliths up there, for crying out loud. Exactly, yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that that sphinx space is the phase of raw. It just doesn't look like anything else to me. And uh, what's his name? Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, came out and, well, this was on CNN, I think it was. Uh, this was a few years ago. He talked about the monolith on Phobos yeah. and showed it. He showed a picture of it. He said, look, this thing's artificial. <laughs> and he was just that blunt. This is not a natural thing. Yeah, well, it makes you wonder, you know. It's like we talk about pirates here tonight. It's, uh, you know, if you want to go one step beyond the sea, you have to go to the sky. So it's like maybe that's the... They kind of go together, don't they? Yeah. You, you sail know. through space. Yeah, they sail through space. So it's probably this probably like... That's probably... You know, like how they... How, like, you, you ever seen that thing, the animation where it, like, goes... It goes like from far out in the universe and then zooms into like Earth all the way down to like a cell, and it's like amazing the actual how close they looked to each other. You know what I mean? As above, so below. Yeah. yeah. So it's probably like that. You know, we talk about these pirates and everything, and it's probably like there's probably like this whole culture of 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 spacefaring, uh, you know, life out there that is very eerily similar to the pirate life. And who knows? Maybe the pirate life came from that. Yeah, we'll never know. I think Star Trek had it right. There's probably a whole federation of different peoples out there that we don't even know about. And who knows who they all are. It would be nice to find out. I look forward to the day. Here's an interesting sort of question I don't think I've ever asked you. Now, you wrote these books a long time ago. Are you, what's your, at the, at the time you wrote the books, right? And then compared to today, I guess the question is, like, did you think that, that we would know by now? How do you feel? I mean, it's 2015, dude. I mean, I've been in this for, like, almost 15 years. Uh, I'm I'm disgruntled that we don't know anything, like, that we haven't been told anything, I guess is the point. I mean, you know, nothing's been solved, quote-unquote, officially. Like, what's your – and I know you're content with what you think you know, but – are you how do you what do you think of the fact that we've just completely stalled out on never getting the answer from officialdom? George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. The second Bush and Cheney were put in office, I said, Well, there goes the good neighborhood. It's all done. I said if anything was gonna come out, it's not now. They reclassified everything. I knew right then. 
I knew right then. And they did exactly what I thought they would do. Everything's reclassified. They've recompartmentalized everything, spread it all out. That if there was any hope of it coming out, it's gone now. Yeah. Well, I'm all, I'm one of those people that I've, I've put forward the idea too that I think like they'll just if they want to tell us now, they, they I think they would just like arrange for it to happen almost like all over again. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. like a, like a UFO would crash and then they'd be like, oh, a UFO crashed. Let's see what's inside. It's an alien. You know what I mean? And be like. Oh, you guys are just now. You're just trying to start the Roswell thing all over again, but control the narrative. <laughs> I'll tell you what would be really funny is if they fake the crash in order to talk about the real ones. That's that what would I be mean, funny. Yeah. You can make a movie about that. That would be funny. Yeah, like they fake a crash, so then they can be like, "Okay, well, we can't cover it up anymore. There was a crash a long time ago, so you know, who knows? I'd like to find that would make out, a great guess, movie. You know, I'd like to I'd like to have at least some knowledge of uh, of what of what the deal is, but you know, I'm, I'm growing increasingly pessimistic as I get older that we ever will. It'll happen when they land. Uh, when, when the guys upstairs decide that they want uh, secrecy done on their end, uh, then it is when it will come out. Right. Exactly. And it'll be kind of like Mars attacks only hopefully without the rig guns and everything. Yeah. Well, I feel like something changed in the, in the time between when the UFOs first showed up, like in the 40s, like, if, you know, obviously they were around forever, uh, so don't email me, folks, but you know what I'm talking about, the modern UFO era. I feel like something definitely changed, you know, at some point, like in, you know, in the last, since the turn of the millennium, let's say, because it's like, this just doesn't seem like the UFOs care as much anymore, or, or, or whatever they're doing has changed, I feel. That's just my impression. Is Bush and Cheney and going back to the secret state? Imperial Wars, the secret state, Clinton, and everything. That's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, I know, but I mean the behavior of the aliens. Like, I think maybe the aliens oh. are like, I'm all set. Well, like something, whatever the aliens are, whatever, you know, for lack of a better term now, I don't know. It could not be aliens, but you know what I mean. But whatever, well, whatever is fact, behind the UFOs, whatever is behind the UFOs, I feel like it's it's like not as interested in people anymore, or it's doing something different. It's got something else going on. As a matter of fact, right after... Uh, we started our imperial war business. There was a major UFO flap for a couple of days uh, that was seen all over the eastern seaboard. And CNN and Fox News actually got up on the airwaves and said, if, if anyone has any knowledge on this, we really want to know <laughs> because no one knows about it. The military doesn't know about it. Uh, none of the airlines know about it. We don't know what the hell it is. It's not any kind of craft. We've got pictures of it, and they showed it, yeah. and they were describing the whole thing, and, and it was for a couple of days. And then, bam, nothing. Not a word. But you couldn't get any more visible than that. Yeah. Interesting. I don't recall that, so I'd have to look that look into that one. Yeah, If you remember anything. I remember that taking place for a couple of days. It would have been in, hold on. It was either in 2001 or early 2002. All right. I'll check that out. Well, by the time we talk to you next, it'll be uh, – we'll have a new president. So what's your, what's your what's your take on the election? This is kind of a fun – maybe I'll do this for the year uh, for going forward with the different guests. What's your what's, – without getting too political because, you know, you don't want to talk politics and religion around the holidays, around the dinner table and all that. <laughs> but as a, as, a, as a detached observer – as I am, and I think you are as well. What do you? What, what, how do you see this shaping up? Because it's unlike any election I've ever seen. Present, yeah, it's very comical. Uh, at present, there was a time that I would never have said this, 
But after we had a moron put in office for two different terms, all bets are off the table. We could actually hear the words President Trump. It's, it sounds ridiculous, but it could happen. Yeah, I know. I mean, I was uh, like everybody else. I was like, this is silly. You know, people will come to their senses. But the dude has a stranglehold here now, and it's it's getting even deeper and deeper into this election. And it's like, this guy hasn't fallen off yet. This is crazy. So I don't know. I, I yeah. I mean, I'm I've like like most people like like you're saying. You know, I've I've come to sort of like begrudgingly uh, prepare myself for the possibility that Donald Trump really will be the president. Well, the scary thing is he's actually the best candidate right now <laughs> for the Republicans. He's the best candidate. And let that sink into your head for a minute. Jeb Bush is just tripping all over his feet every time he opens his mouth. And if Jeb Bush can't even make as good a show as his moron brother, what does this tell you? There's a real problem. Yeah. Uh, Hillary has to be the front runner right now, and I don't think she is actually. Uh it's a very curious thing in the political scene. I have been sort of following it. Yeah. I was following it a little more closely than I am now. Uh, I kind of delve into it every now and then. Right, right. Or it spills into my view. Yeah. But every time it spills into my view, I see Trump spilling into my view. Putin meets with Trump. <laughs> yeah. Doing it now. His people are meeting with Trump, and they're talking. They're like, what the hell? Just what the hell? Right, right. Yeah, well, it's it'll be interesting what happens. I still feel like they're going to just make sure that Hillary gets in just because, like, uh, they won't let him. I feel like the powers that be won't let him. He's too volatile. But who knows? I have no idea. That's, I got to say, dude. That's kind of what I wonder, too. I, I wonder that, too. I never really, like, I never really get too concerned about things. You know, we get people on the show, or not so much our show anymore, but, uh, you know, you, you listen to people in the conspiracy realm, and they're like, uh, you know, it's the end of the world. And it's like, I never really sort of like felt that way, but until like this month, <laughs> like with this yeah. crazy shooting and then, you know, they're talking about like, uh, you know, like rounding people up and sending people here and sending people there and, and, and registering people. And like, they're saying this with like a straight face and stuff. And it's like, now I'm getting a little scared, man. Cause and that's coming from Wesley Clark in a democratic administration. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming from all over the place. You know, it's like people are scared of everybody now, and it's like, oh, dude, this is not good. You know, so it's this, this that Paris thing really shook uh, shook up the the planet in a lot of ways. You know, more than I think. Uh, yeah, I even expected the the night it happened. You know, the night it happened, I was like, this is pretty scary, man. That's too bad that that happened. But now I'm like, oh no, I think this was like, if 9/11 was stage one, I think fucking the Paris thing just kicked off stage two. So I don't know. I was expecting there would be some kind of big attack somewhere. Uh, So the Paris thing does not terribly surprise me. Um, I don't know exactly who's behind that. I mean, obviously the alt community is going nuts with trying to make it a false flag. But by the same token, it fits right into, uh, if you look at dates in the Islamic calendar and in Islamic history, they're picking these dates for very good reasons. Because they're they're significant dates in Islamic history and Muslim history. Right, right. But it doesn't really matter if like it was a false flag anyway. You play with the hand you're dealt. You know what I mean? It happened. Yeah. So it's what what what's going to happen from there? Who knows? But it's like trying to figure out who did it. You're you're already making the mistake that you're not anticipating what might come next instead. You know what I'm saying? 
You're wasting all your yeah. time trying to figure out who was behind the attack, and the next thing you know, you look up, and they're taking away people on trains and stuff. It's like, oh, jeez. Well, I, I tell you, 9-11 changed my world, not the way it did everyone else's. I saw exactly coming what is taking place right now, and it depressed the crap out of me. I considered becoming a career alcoholic. I'm very glad I did not, <laughs> but I did very seriously consider it because uh, I thought, you know, it's just all over now. It's pointless to try and do anything. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're just doing the same kind of crap we did in Vietnam, only amped up to the nth degree. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty – we're living in a scary world, man. I hope that things feel safer the next, on next year's Rucksgiving because uh, right now, it's crazy right now. It's just crazy. Yes, I fully agree with you. It's very crazy right now, and I really don't like it. Yeah. But I I went through my depression in the year after 9-11. When that year was over, I came out of it and I said, you know what? Life goes on. We're repeating the same bullshit mistakes, and I'm just going to keep on going. Yeah. Well, that's what we can do. That's what we do here on this show. It's what we do every year on Rucksgiving. So I think that's the best place to uh, to call it a night. We don't want people too depressed. So. <laughs> <laughs> What's, yeah, just, okay, you know. well, let's what's we'll we'll spin it one last time into uh, any and because of course Hollywood versus the aliens. What? Because uh, I don't want to end it on that note because that's sad. Um, what's what's what what do you got cooking in your in your pop culture? Uh, you know, in your pop culture purview. What do you, what have you been watching? What have you been what do you what have you enjoyed in the last year? Good movies to recommend. Heard that Max Mad Max was really good, but I haven't seen it yet. Mad uh, Max is a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good movie. Uh, ironically, I just finished watching the first season of Black Sails last night, uh, which I liked a lot, but the pirates in it, they're using historical pirates, a lot of the ones we were just talking about. Yeah. But the way that they're portraying them isn't realistic as as how I know pirates. It's yeah. still a good show. Uh, Crossbones, I just watched uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought that was actually pretty accurate for the most part. Uh, I was crazy about that one. And I like Black Sails. I just kind of make note that it's not entirely accurate. Right, right. Okay. What about Black... What is Black Sales? What is that on? Is that on... What is that on? Netflix or so? Like something? What is that on? That's on Stars. It's Stars. a Stars series. Okay. I get Stars. I'll have to check it out. All right. Did you get into, like, Game of Thrones or any of these other shows that are, like, really big? I only saw the first season of Game of Thrones, and they have more of them out on disc now, so I really should rent those. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those that I just need to catch up with. Yeah, I think we talked about this before. I've given up on like any one-hour serialized drama since Lost. It's going to take a long time to get me back to invest in another show again like that. Lost poisoned it for us all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, my housemates were as crazy about Lost as we are, and they are so bitter about that show. Yeah, and man. We, just, we can't even talk about it. It's like mourning a dead friend. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I, my buddy was, he's like, he said to me, he's like, I'm going to watch it from the beginning again. I was like, I, why, why would you even do that? Like, I, 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 I hate, I have really, I generally, I really like bitterly hate lost. It's so sad because I loved it so much as you know. So it's like, so when any of these like hour long shows come along, I'm like, ah, it can't ever be as good as lost. And lost was, ter- was terrible. <laughs> and, and lost screwed it up. Right. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, no, I mostly watch, like, comedies now, so uh, I like to laugh, as you know. Me too. Uh, I, what's the last comedy I saw? Let me think. I know I saw one recently. <laughs> I've seen a few. 
but suddenly they're just eluding my mind. Well, it's interesting. I watch comedies all the time. How much entertainment's changed too, you know, in, in the years, even since we started, you know, doing this show. I think I I had a TiVo at the time, and that was considered like, you know, I I, I was like preaching about this. You gotta get this TiVo thing, man, to like my friends, and they were like, "You're crazy." Now it's like if you don't have a DVR, you don't really don't even you're not watching TV the right way. It's really weird. I just rent them. I just wait till they come out and rent them. You don't use a DVR? I have a DVR, and I, I mean, I could. It's really you have it arranged on cable that I can just you know pull the show in and, and watch it whenever I want. Yeah, well, that I just never do. That's the point too. Yeah, you can really watch like anything on demand now too. So you almost don't need the DVR because like you can just go. Go to the things web. Go to the channel's website. You can watch it. Chances are, or you can get it on demand through your cable. It's like you can just watch the. the, the I saw an interesting article this week that was like they're not even canceling shows now anymore. Right away, like they used to. You know, like a show would come on, they'd cancel it after like two episodes. Now it's like they yeah. let them run for a long time because they're like, we don't know necessarily if people are watching it yet. So well, that's just it. The Nielsen's are pointless anymore. They mean nothing. Because people watch it, they like the show and they watch it, but they're not going to watch it when it airs. Yeah. So they really have to come up with some kind of different system to figure out what's working and what isn't, because the Nielsen's are meaningless anymore. Right, exactly. And because people, and they got to figure out how to like make advertisements work, because that's what pays for all this shit. And like no one's watching the commercials because they don't have to. It's like, well, how how are we going to pay for this? It's a, yeah, entertainment's in a real weird bind right now. Yeah, that's why I wait for it on disc. Like I love to watch. I'm a real true crime addict. I love it. I always have. Uh, there's a station. ID? I call it the murder porn station. Yes. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, call it the I know murder all about ID. Yeah. I call it the murder show channel, so we're on the same yep. page. Yeah. I love that channel. It is so crammed with commercials. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't stand it. That uh, you know you you can barely watch the damn show. So I've almost reached the point with that that I just want to wait until they maybe put out on disc and rent them. Yeah, I know what you mean. They always and the, the funny part too is it's like oh, there's always commercials for like the other shows. So like if you watch for like a couple hours, after a while you're like, there's the Swamp Murders show again. You know, it's like you know the commercial. It's like oh god. Yeah. 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 They yeah. keep repeating them. Uh, a lot of them show up on Lifetime Network too. Amazingly enough, uh, they run some of the uh, some of the shows that used to be on ID on uh, Lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Well, I read earlier in the year that this ID channel is like explode. It's like one of the most popular channels out there now. So it's like oh, it's people, fantastic. People are really into it. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's fantastic. You can turn it on at any time, and you get sucked into some weird true crime mystery. It's great. My significant other before she died, she was crazy about true crime, just like me. We used to trade books back and forth, true crime books, like they were trading cards. Yeah. If that show, if she was still alive, we would never get out of bed. <laughs> we watched the murder board channel all day yeah. and eat popcorn and have sex. That's all we would do. I'm sure there's a lot of people doing that uh, right now. So, Yep, they probably are. I'm sure they're having a ball. <laughs> well, I'm glad they took the time out to uh, listen to this year's Rucksgiving special. How's that for a segue? Bruce, I can't thank you enough for for doing this once again. I know you I know you enjoy it, so it's not like I was pulling teeth here and uh, really I really am thrilled that this pirate thing came off without a hitch cuz it it turned into such a compelling conversation and I learned a lot and I think the listeners are really going to be riveted by all the pirate talk this year. So thank you so much for for bringing the goods, man. It is always a pleasure and I look forward to it again. 
All right, buddy. Don't hang up. I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodnight to the callers, and then you and I can just do a little brief uh, momentary chat after the show. Cool. Uh, two of us. So stay tuned. Uh, stay stay on the line. I guess is what they say. Yeah. Okay. All right, folks. That was our good friend Bruce Rux. Thank you once again uh, to Bruce for coming on the show and making Rux giving a happening here in 2015. Uh, if you don't, as I said earlier, if you're if you're just discovering Banal of America somehow and you've crashed our Thanksgiving dinner, uh, thank you for checking out the show. And uh, you can find out more from us at banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just punch in, be uh, Banal of America. I was just thinking to myself, Bruce, you're still here. How come you're not on Facebook, dude? Is this too crazy for you? No, my only problem with Facebook is its contract. Uh, anything you put on Facebook is owned by Facebook, which means you've got to be really careful anything you put on there. That that actually bothers me. It's the only reason I haven't gone on. Okay. I would look, are you sure about that? I think that's like an urban legend or something. I don't know. I mean, you no, probably I read right. It. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I read the contract. They it's all fine print stuff. I read down through the contract, and I got to that part of it, and I said, yep, that's the one right there. All right. Okay. Well, I'll take your word for it. Hopefully, they don't all. I'll, I'll just gonna keep pretending like I own my shit, so they can they can kiss my butt. Uh, you can why why I censored. I would, I would I censored a hell of a lot more books. Shit, I don't know. What's that? I would sell a hell of a lot more books if I got on Facebook. I can tell you that. Well, first you gotta get the book back out. So maybe once you get, the book, get the book back out, back you can out. join up and just as an author page, you could do. Um, yeah. There you go. All right. But back to what I was saying, if you want more from Banal of America, just punch in Banal of America on Facebook. That'll bring up the page. That's where we uh, post the latest news on the show, what the next episode is, all that good stuff. Uh, If uh, you're listening to the show by now, you know that we have a massive archive, 250-plus episodes. You can find them all uh, via Banal of America, and you can find them. They are absolutely free. And we do that via the help from the BOA listeners who make donations. There's two ways to do so. Head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the Internet and you want to make a snail mail donation, there's also a P.O. Box address at Banal of America. Find that and uh, fire your correspondence my way uh, via the old-fashioned way, snail mail. And as we say all the time here at the end of the program, uh, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, commercial-free and freely available to all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Now, as I said a couple times here during the show, it's been a month since I last did an episode, and I'm really thrilled we got Bruce to uh, come on for Rucksgiving, help me sort of get my sea legs back under me. See that, folks? I did a little pirate pun there. Uh, and I hope that we can do a few more shows in December. I know for sure, well, I can't say for sure, but I'm willing to bet good money that we'll have the annual holiday special. We're talking the 11th year here with the incomparable Stan Friedman. I'm going to get on the horn with Stan probably this weekend and schedule it, because I'd like to get in touch with him right after Thanksgiving. And uh, hopefully a couple more episodes in the mix there. i got a few folks I've reached out to, uh, some folks who've been on the show before and some newcomers. And hopefully we can get them on the program and get back into a little bit of a rhythm here. I think tonight's episode is uh, 8.20 something. So we're, we're nearing the end of the of the season here. 9.27. Yeah, we're at episode 9.27. So really we only have six shows left before we close out season nine. So it's going to come faster than even I imagined. And uh, stay tuned, folks, because uh, we got some good folks lined up to close out the season. And then, of course, 
the big one, season 10. Can't wait for that. That's going to be sometime in 2016. So, as usual, I can't tell you much, but we're going to have some awesome shows. So stay tuned to Banal of America and Banal of America on Facebook for information on what those shows will be and when you can hear them and how you can hear them and all that good stuff. And so, with all that said, thank you so much, folks, for tuning in to another Rucks Giving Spectacular. Thank you to the mighty Bruce Rucks for joining us and helping keep the tradition alive. I hope everybody out there listening has an absolutely fantastic Thanksgiving. It really is one of my favorite holidays. It might be my favorite holiday. There's too much pressure with Christmas. It's too it's too stressful. I always feel like I like I need to do more for Christmas. It's crazy. So that's what I like about Thanksgiving. You just kick back, eat some good food, watch some good TV, see old friends, have a few beers, have a good time. It's very celebratory and give thanks, you know. Thank you to all you folks out there for listening. Thank you for your enduring support of this program. It really is tremendously appreciated. As I said, we've been kind of missing in action for the last month, but uh, it's for good reason. we got a lot cooking here at BOAHQ that hopefully will kind of uh, start to make itself apparent in the next few weeks and months. And uh, I think it's going to be very, very exciting for everybody listening and uh, all the folks out there who are BOA fans. So with all that said, once again, I hope everybody out there has a fantastic Thanksgiving Thank you for your support of the program. Thank you for making BOA Audio part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall. Thanking you for listening and signing off.